about? Right now, poised at the edge of the galaxy, Emperor Zerg has been secretly building a weapon with the destructive capacity to annihilate an entire planet. I alone have information that reveals this weapon's only weakness. And you, my friend, are responsible for delaying my rendezvous with Star Command! You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear, you're a, you're an action figure! You are a child's plaything! You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. Welcome, 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 welcome to a very special crossover episode of Best Film Ever and Talking the Mickey. My name is Ian. And I'm Liam. I'm Ellie. And I'm Ethan. Did you say you're even? <laughs> I, I yeah, well. I'm even. <laughs> I'm even even. And we couldn't and we are even happier to have anybody joining us today, whether it's you're listening to us on Best Film Ever or on Talking the Mickey. Um, we're very excited about this crossover um, thing to talk about. Toy Story. Love Toy Story. Do you love Toy Story? I do. Um, my feeling on Toy Story is a little bit muted. Um, so is mine. I'm not a big... I said this in the last episode on Talking the Mickey, and I think on this as well. I'm not the world's biggest Tim Allen fan. And I'm very curious, because we have not watched it yet. I'm very curious when I go back and watch it, how I'm going to feel about it. Yeah, but I think because you're not seeing Tim Allen, you're just hearing a voice. Well, it didn't it's, stop me the last time I saw it. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see Tim Allen. I just, I, I don't, I just don't. Oh, I see, I see it in the character design, but again, apparently the character design is not fully on him. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe it's just me projecting. Uh, Ethan, I'm assuming you're a massive Toy Story fan. Uh, yeah, I grew up when like Toy Story was the big thing. I was, I was in that in between. You grew period. up when Toy Story was the big thing. The first one came out before you were born. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah, but like <laughs> the two thousand, like two thousand to two thousand eleven was everyone's like, oh yeah, Toy Story is a thing. Toy Story is a thing. Everyone's like hyping up Toy Story, like around like when Star Wars was a thing. Toy Story is that like, old. Me and Ian were. <laughs> we were two teenagers. We were still in our formative years. Yeah, at that we point. were. Come yeah. on. So like, I I grew up with like Toy Story being mainly in the mainstream media, Toy and then when Toy Story three came out, I'm like, oh, exactly. what's this big thing everyone's going on about? I haven't seen it in the cinema yet, and I I have like a load of old stuff somewhere of like all the Toy Story toys I had when I was a kid, but it's been a while since I've seen them. Well, uh, it's been a while since we've seen them as well. Yeah. So uh, a big thank you though to anybody who's listening to us. This is episode twenty one of 21? Best Film Ever, and we have hit fifteen hundred downloads. Woo! Which is massive. And Talking to Mickey has just hit a thousand downloads. So we're really excited about both those figures. Because I think in both situations, we started up just looking for something to do. Yeah. And kind of just going, let's just throw this out here and see it. We joked very openly about three people listening to us. And God, (laughs) thank you. I have a three of you doing a hell of a good job with those downloads. Traveling around the world. (laughs) (laughs) Download them on every app you can find. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the same with Talking to Mickey. I mean, people get in contact and it's absolutely fantastic. And we... We got a wonderful piece of uh, feedback on a five-star review from the Flappity Flap podcast. Mm. I know, the Flappity Flap podcast. 
That's a great name. They just, they just sing a lot for their own. Like they sing their own intro, and I'm like, I wouldn't have the nerve to do that. That sounds quite cool. It, 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 it's all right. And so, um, thank you to. And if you want to make us feel happy due to quantifiably data provided feedback, please feel free to do what Flappity Flap did and throw us a little five star review. It makes us happy. It makes us five stars worth happy. So, go ahead and do that on the best film ever or talking the Mickey. Uh, we're going to give our Talking to Mickey Androvshevsky shout out later in the show. But as always, a big shout out to Lestat, who <laughs> always engages with us. Yep, he does. As well as any of our usual peeps. Thank you for engaging. It makes our day. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm very exciting. Um, News is that we've been invited to take part in the podcast virtual convention. Um, so that is uh, that coming out later this week. I'm sure if you follow our socials, we will have information dropping on that all over the place. I both talking to Mickey and best film ever. We've just recorded our session. It's on the worst films ever. So if you like listening to us talk about good films, it might be refreshing. If you like, I really want to hear them rag on some things. We just did that for about an hour. Yeah, we did. Unless so. you hate it when we don't like the films, in which case maybe don't listen. Well, the, the point of this one is to hear us complain. So I'm sure we're going to have <laughs> someone out there will definitely touch on one of your favorites and tear it apart. So if you're someone who has some I'm really sure, strange guilty pleasures. I'm, I'm sure if someone's favorite film is the one I bring up, I'm so sorry, um, I guess. I, if, if someone's possible. favorite's mine, I'm not sorry. You like trash films. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to more of our stuff and, and watch some watch a better quality of film. If, if you're <laughs> talking about better quality of film, let's steer back to Toy Story. So, 1995, directed by Ethan's favorite person, John Lasseter. Yay. Maybe Ethan's favorite person to like talk about. Maybe and we're going to talk about it a little bit here. Actually, um, created, produced by Pixar, and distributed by Walt Disney Studios. And it's important, I think, for some people to know that at this point, these are two very separate entities. Oh yeah, yeah. like they didn't come together. Beatles reference until <laughs> well into the 2000s. And so uh, we've got uh, two separate things here. And so the screenplay is written by, amongst others, Joss Whedon, wow. yeah. Andrew Stanton, Joel, Joel Cohen, as in the Cohen brothers, Joel Cohen. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. And Alex Solikoff, based on a story created by John Lasseter, uh, Stanton, who we talked about before, Pete Docter, and John Ramft. And the executive produced, producer of this film was one Mr. Steve Jobs himself. Wow. Because yeah. people don't realize okay, that Steve yeah. Jobs was one of the founders or one of the main main financial backers of Pixar in the early days. And they were so groundbreaking back in the day. They were. Yeah. And so music, of course, by Randy Newman. So in case for some reason you're not familiar with Toy Story, <laughs> taking place in a world where the anthropomorphic toys come to life when humans are not present, the plot focuses on the relationship between an old-fashioned polstering cowboy doll named Woody and an old sorry and an astronaut action figure Buzz Lightyear as they evolve from rivals competing for the affections of their owner Andy to friends who work together to be reunited with him after being separated from him. And basically the story of Toy Story is actually in many ways the story of John Lasseter's career with Disney and then outside of Disney. Because he worked for Disney back in the early 80s. Oh, wow. And he was working in the feature department. And someone showed him uh, the the light cycle sequence from Tron. Like the original 1980s Tron film, which I hate. Never well, seen I it. love Tron. Oh, do you? I, I love hate it. it. I've, been, it. I've been... Uh, contemplating whether or not to bring that up for a film. Now I do not. Well, you can, <laughs> you, you can but this is what you're going to get from me. <laughs> and so he was so um, 
enamored with the light cycle sequence from Tron that it opened the idea that computer-generated animation could be a thing. And around this time, Disney started to talk about the brave little toaster. And Lasseter books a meeting and pitches, let me do the whole thing using computers. And talk about a meeting that doesn't go well. Lasseter is fired. Wow. (laughs) So it was rejected. Lasseter's fired, I guess, for having kind of... uh, We don't know what happens in that meeting and how emotional or whatever it happens but i guess just the idea that he wanted to go in a direction that clearly at this point disney's not even touching the idea of computers because in in, maybe it seems so far away i mean you're still in the dark ages for disney i mean you're not talking i mean little mermaid's got five years until it comes out and that's really what sort of gives cpr to uh kind of a a studio in need of recitation if you will um and so he then goes on to work for lucasfilm and in 1986, he becomes one of the founding members of Pixar. And at this point, Pixar in that same year is purchased by Steve Jobs. Mm. So um, in 1988, he produces a short film called Tin Toy. Oh, which I shows. Love Tin Toy. Have you seen Tin Toy? I've not seen Tin Toy. Yeah. It's disgusting, like animation-wise. <laughs> it's really entertaining. Is this like is this like some hip, cool, young like vernacular? Or disgusting means like, oh, it's sick. It's, no, it's, it's wicked. Awful. It's wicked. It's awful. Okay. It's yeah, if, if you have time between like when we see the film and not, like just look at it, it's really gross. The Tin Toy, I think, makes a cameo in Toy Story 1. Okay. But like it really shows, yeah, they're not good at making humans. Like, <laughs> the baby is terrified. So based off a success of Tin Toy, which I think might win, it's very, it's very highly regarded. I think it wins Academy Awards. I'm not sure on that. Uh, the Academy was approached by Disney to then produce a computer animated feature film told from a toy's perspective. And so they've got the idea kind of for what they want. And so they also want Lasseter to come back and work for them. Liam, do we have an update on uh, on Tin Toy? Or Ellie, do we have an update on Tin Toy? Yeah, it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short in 1989. There we go. So um, they want Lasseter to come back and work for them. And uh, Lasseter openly says, um, I can go back to Disney and be a director, or I can stay here and make history. Yeah. Which at this point, I'm like, Giddy up, John Lasseter. Surely nothing you will do later in your life will besmirch your name. (laughs) I just found a picture of the baby. Did you? Oh, Oh, I was better for you. It's a monster. Ethan's just shown a picture. It's not good. It's hideous. And so Disney then wants Pixar to make films for them. And this is a change for them because up until now, Disney had always made films in-house or almost up until now because someone else had just come from the outside and made a very successful animated feature for Disney around this time. Tim Burton was the man's name. Oh. Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. I guess in some uh, ways, maybe he'd given Disney the rights and bought them back. And then when he had the rights back, made a film for, for, for Disney. Oh, okay. But it was their first time working out of house. And it went over so well. But they were now open to this idea. Well, technically open to the idea. But yes. as we'll find out, it was not a smooth road. So uh, both sides are up for it. Because Disney, well, for one, Disney is the single largest customer of Pixar computers. And when they make Tin Toy, Tin Toy is really designed as a little more of an ad to show off what these Pixar computers can do. Now, it works. Yeah, yeah. But Disney is the singular biggest customer. So it's in Pixar's best interest to go ahead and go, yeah, we'll make you the film because you keep buying our, mer- uh, like our stuff. So this will be good for us. 
also, it, it makes sense because Disney's going, we got all these Pixar computers. We may as well see what we can do with them. Yeah. So why not partner up? And it helps that Pixar is broke. Like they are literally on the verge of bankruptcy at this point. And so it makes sense to everybody to get together. The problem was, what do you do for a deal? Because Disney's not about to be like really open about it. So Disney goes, we'll make the film, but we want to have all your proprietary tech for 3D animation. Basically, we want to own your technology, your sort of technological, your technological patents yeah. on this. And Disney, it's Pixar is smart enough to go, well, you ain't getting that. No, 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 no. That's worth more than just this. So Pixar says no to that. But then um, Pixar says, well, we want to own partially the film and its characters. And if you think about everything that Disney licenses with like, you know, the characters and films and stuff like that, and they would get a cut of that. Disney's because Disney's true strength. Ethan, would you agree with me on this? Disney's true strength is in its licensing. Oh, yeah. Merchandising, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Spider-Man was one of them. Sony owned Spider-Man for ages, but Disney were like, hey. You can own him, but we're going to have all of the merchandise. It's like George Lucas. They get so much more yeah. money than Sony do. Yeah, absolutely. And so Disney went, no, you're not having that. So finally they came out with the idea that Disney will own the film outright, but Pixar gets 12.5% of ticket revenues. Oh. So the actual bums on seats buying tickets to the film itself, fine. But the IP of the characters belongs and stays with Disney as a result of this. Um, and Disney had the option, but it wasn't mandatory to do Pixar's next two films, okay. which of course they would do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so then we have the original treatment for Toy Story, which was drafted by Lasseter, uh, Andrew Stanton and Pete Docter. And it had very little in common with what we know as Toy Story today. The original treatment uh, featured around Tinny, the one man band from Tin Toy. And he was partnered with a ventriloquist's dummy and then sent on a sprawling odyssey. <laughs> I do, already. <laughs> do you want to see that? No. No, I don't want to see that. And I this, think I've seen the, the concept art for yeah, the Ventura it's horror, Dummy. It's, like, that was it's out there. It was be. It's not nice. Well, it's rejected by Disney. And Disney kept saying we want it to be edgier. We want it to be. I mean, about Pixar, edgy is not the word that comes to mind. No. But you got to keep in mind, like this is the, the 80s turning into the 90s kind of time frame. Uh, that would make sense in that regard. You know, things were moving a little bit. You know, Nirvana was happening, grunge. And so this idea to be a little bit more sarcastic, and that's sort of an idea, but the idea that it needs to be a film that both sides can relate to. Because Disney's been making sort of that squeaky clean G-rated, and it's not working, right? Like people aren't seeing the films they're making. No. And so they wanted to be edgier, but then Katzenberg had a crack, and it wasn't any better. So in Katzenberg's sort of dream, Woody is the main villain, and he abuses all the other toys until they rally against him. Uh, however, when Disney executives saw the storyboards, they went, well, no, this is garbage. And they gave control back to Pixar over the film. Now, I've seen say- the storyboards. They're not nice. He's, no. so, he's so mean. He's a jerk. And he's just like, hey, screw you, Potato Head. And he's like, oh, but what I now, do? I'd like to say at this point, Pixar got it right. They don't. There's several disastrous story reels and production is halted. And the script was rewritten to better reflect the tone and theme Pixar desired. And what Pixar wanted, they believe that toys deeply want children to play with them. That is a toy's purpose. A toy gets its fulfillment in life, if you will, out of bringing joy to children. And this desire drives all their hopes, all their fears, all their actions. And I think if you look at the Toy Story trilogy as I've seen, quadrology as you've seen, I think you see that kind of influence. Everything around it is what happens if Andy doesn't like me anymore? What happens if no one wants to play with me as a toy anymore? And um, 
the studio only then at that point consisted of a relatively small number of employees and they filmed it under really kind of minor constraints. Cause there's only really so much that those people can actually rang up a bill for outside of their hours. You know what I mean? Like if you have a small number of employees, you're going to be all right. But Katzenberg still felt the treatment was problematic and told Lasseter to reshape Toy Story as more of an odd couple buddy picture, which I think if you look at it, that you can see that in, in the final product. Yeah, you can, yeah. Uh, and so they made them watch some classic buddy movies like 48 Hours. Great movie. Which is a great movie. It is a great movie. <laughs> I kind of want to see Toy Story now done with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. <laughs> the two, like Nick Nolte's Woody. And <laughs> this, is, this is a brand you need to, re- you need to redo. <laughs> I think I'm thinking about this. Because God knows Tom Hanks did a, did a terrible job in this film. <laughs> <laughs> like in every film. And so they emerged in September of 91 with a second treatment. But the lead character is still Tinny. And the dummy still exists as well, but the outline's starting to get closer. But seeking insight, I kid you not, they go to a three-day seminar in Los Angeles about how to write a script. (laughs) 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 And they emerge three days later with um, grounded with the uh, basis of storytelling from, from Aristotle, which suggested that a character emerges most realistically from choices that the protagonist makes in reaction to his problems. So here's my problem. I will make a decision. This is believable for the audience to go, well, yes, you have this problem. You would act this way. And I'm like, is this really groundbreaking, though? Or have we emerged so far in like 30 years that you're like, well, yes, of course, that's how you would write a story. But they had to go for like a three. I think they're just like living it up on the Disney dime. Yeah, send us to LA. Oh, you have this great idea, boss. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would. (laughs) We're going to have the protagonist react to his problems. (laughs) Um, so Disney then appoints Joel Cohen and Alex Sokolow, and then later Joss Whedon to help develop the script. Uh, Whedon found the script wasn't working, but had a great structure, and he decided that he wanted to get uh, a pivotal role for a character that he would call Barbie. Oh, cool. And wanted Barbie. Now, Barbie, as you might know, doesn't show up until Toy Story 2. No. Partially because Mattel went, no, because if this thing's a bomb... Uh, you guys are going to make us look bad and drag us down with you. Now, once it turned out to be successful, they went, yes, please. For yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing, the reason they gave is that they said little girls imprint upon Barbie any internal voice and characteristics they choose. Barbie is, in short, an avatar by which they can live out their own kind of created storylines. And if we gave her a voice and gave her a character, that would hurt the brand of Barbie because she's no longer anything you want she's this one specific idea i think that's a cop-out <laughs> i think they just went yeah no, money yeah yeah um and he also comes up with an idea for another character but i will leave that until we see that character in the film but he also he's the one who comes up with the idea that buzz doesn't know he's a toy he's the, and that is when they think the light bulb went on and they yeah. went this is the movie Woody, who's so aware of his role as a toy and just wants to be played with as a toy. And then Buzz, who's suddenly the new popular toy, but doesn't respect the idea that he's a toy because he doesn't know he's a toy. And that just infuriates Woody more. And so finally, in January 93, they get script approval and say, go find a cast. And Woody was always written with Tom Hanks in mind. Because Lasser said, Hanks has the ability to take emotions and make them appealing. Even characters like his in A League of Their Own. They say, even when he's despicable, you can find humanity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Good movie. 
Didn't um, they take um, like audio from I think it's Turner and Hooch and like mix it together and like testing for one of the characters? Yeah, because Hanks wasn't sure if he wanted to do it. So what they do is they take monologues from other films, put it over the animation they've done to show them what it would feel like. And it was at that point that Hanks gets it and signs on. Oh, okay. Uh, another person who was considered and kind of written with his in mind, they wanted Billy Crystal to play Buzz. Yeah, oh. I can see that. But he says no, because as we mentioned on an earlier episode of Talking to Mickey, um, Disney kind of screwed over Robin Williams during the whole Aladdin thing. Oh, yeah. And Billy Crystal and Robin Williams are, t- are, are very, tight. Very, very close friends. And so he turned it down out of principle. And then later when he saw it, he said, Tim Allen did a great job, but I think I made the single biggest mistake of my career. At which point, I think it's Katzenberg phones him. No, it's Lasseter phones him. He heard the comments, phones him. And Billy Crystal's wife takes the call and says, John Lasseter wants to speak to you. And Billy Crystal just takes the phone and goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever the offer was going to be, he was going to take it. And that's how he gets cast in Monsters, Inc. Oh, okay. So, yeah, really quite interesting there. Um, So Lasseter then took the role of Buzz to Tim Allen who was appearing in Home Improvement, which aired on ABC television, which is itself a Disney-owned property. Oh, okay. So they kind of went in-house Channel this, 4 over here. And he accepted, um, like I said, everybody seems to feel that Tim was fantastic in their role. I look forward to seeing it again to see if I agree with that. And Hanks and Allen recorded together to ensure chemistry, but Katzenberg still said, we want edgier content. We want to make sure it's for kids and adults, and they kept making changes. And they said that by the time the executives had gotten through it, Woody had been stripped of almost all his charm. And Tom Hanks, while recording the dialogue for the story reels, exclaimed at one point the character was a jerk. <laughs> Hanks did not like the character. It kind of felt like the character he signed up to play was not the same. wasn't the one. He said, who's going to like this guy? Yeah. So Lasseter and the Pixar team had the first half of the movie done. And so they went ahead to show it to executives on November 19th, an event they would later dub the Black Friday Incident. So I think we can take from that how that probably went. The results were disastrous. Uh, an executive called Schneider, who was never particularly enamored with Katzenberg's ideas of having outsiders make animation for Disney, declared it a mess and ordered the production be stopped immediately. Wow. Cancel the project. Oh, eating his words now. <laughs> so Katzenberg asked a guy named Thomas Schumacher, who is now president of Disney theatrical division, uh, why the reels were so bad. He said, why, why is this film not, not working? And Schumacher said, because it's not their movie anymore. It's not the movie they made, set out to make. You have changed this from what it was. Uh, Lasseter was embarrassed by what was on the screen and said it was a story filled with the most unhappy, mean characters I've ever seen and asked Disney for two weeks to rework the script. And Katzenberg was supportive of that. Production shuts down. Um, and the guy who said get rid of it, he wanted to fire all the animators. That, <laughs> didn't, that didn't happen. Good. He also wanted to, he went to, to Michael Eisner, head of Disney, like international, like the, the, the big CEO and says, cancel Toy Story. Well, that didn't happen because we're doing this podcast. Yeah. And then in this time, Steve Jobs is funding the project himself during this time frame to make sure the animators get paid and put them onto other tasks. However, at this, not to say he's a big supporter of the film because he's also trying to sell Pixar to Hallmark and Microsoft at this time. So, yeah. so, but then he, as it goes on, he does get excited thinking they're going to revolutionize film. Actually takes three months for a new script. Joss Whedon came back and did another rewrite. Woody is now no longer a tyrant, but a wise and caring leader. Buzz is made even less self-aware. Uh, the staff eventually grows from 24 to 110 people. Mm. Just as a little bit of uh, comparison, Lion King had a staff of 800. 
And each frame on the screen takes between 45 minutes and 30 hours to render on these computers they had that ran 24 hours a day, and they would get three minutes of footage out of a week. Wow. So for 24 frames per second. I was going to say, as someone who's actually animated, dear God, rendering takes so long. And I did what was like a 30-second clip, and that took me a week. I dread to think, like, and that was on technology now. I dread to think back in, the, in like, the 80s, 90s. Just, it's terrifying to me. It's 114,240 total frames. And if you consider each frame takes between 45 minutes and 30 hours to render, that's a lot of time. And so now the question becomes, now that it's done, it's rendered, they think they've got it. What do you do with music? Because Disney wanted a musical. And Joss Whedon was especially firm. And so was John Lasseter and going, no, these are toys. They, it's also like, these are adult male toys. They're not going to walk around a corner and start talking about their, their feelings, let alone singing about their feelings. It's all going to be a much more passive aggressive tone than that. Uh, it's a buddy film featuring real toys. And it would have been a really bad musical if you went ahead and do this. Buddy movies are about, sublimating, punching an arm and going like, I hate you, <laughs> as opposed to like singing about it. And so Lasseter, they, they pointed Randy Newman and he just got it. He said the songs are touching, witty and satirical. And the way they did it was they had montages of stuff on the screen where the songs would explain what was going on rather than have the character sing it. And of course, we all know the film's signature song, You've Got a Friend in Me, which was written in one day. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I'm turning to Owen Wilson. It is. Wow. wow. <laughs> uh, and just as a little uh, aside at the end here about how it was re- received, uh, they ended up having two different premieres. One one night uh, by the Fun House Totally Toy Story. That <laughs> uh, was the Disney one. And then one at the Regency Theater, which Steve Jobs held, showing the binary opposition. Is this a Disney film or is this a Pixar film? Because they couldn't even get that to work together. Uh, it's the highest grossing film during its opening weekend. It eventually makes $364 million off a $30 million budget. Nice. So 12 times your budget. That's considered a success, I think. I think so. And let's remember, Pixar got 12.5% of theater revenues. So they get 45.5 million. So they are off to the races and become the thing we do today. Rotten Tomatoes score. Anybody want to have a guess? 98 or something, isn't it? Is it? 95. Kelly? Yeah. 90. 100%. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it was praised for the technical innovation of a 3D animation, the musical score, uh, the vocal performance of Tom Hanks and um, Tim, Allen. Tim Allen. It's considered by many to be one of the best animated films ever made. And it's interesting. Roger Ebert compared the film's innovative animation to Disney's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's praise. Which That's praise. is interesting, though, because which one has the greater legacy now? Toy Story. It's yeah, it's Toy Story. Like, do we even remember who Frame Roger Rabbit? Oh, yeah, like, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It, it is fantastic, but no one talks about Our that. Generation remembers. I think there's remember. a generational cut. I, I don't think know anything my, about it. My generation is the final one that really remember it. I don't. Yeah, but I don't think we should talk about what were the most innovative films. And in I don't think Roger Rabbit gets nearly the no, attention it should. So no, no. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and the film receives three Academy Award nominations. It was, sorry, it's nominated Best Original Song. For You've Got a Friend in Me. Mm-hmm. Best original score. It loses both of those to Pocahontas. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, mm. I'm with you on that. I think I, think I like this uh, better. I think they've aged better, if nothing else. I think mm. Toy Story does. Ha- and I think Toy Story feels timeless. And like when I found it was 25 years, I was like, yeah. really? Yeah. Because I thought I was still like, I thought I was a young adult. 
Yeah, I, I thought I was, <laughs> when I I thought I was a good seven, seven, eight years older than that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also wins, and this is hysterical, it gets a nomination. It doesn't win, but it gets a nomination for Best Original Screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one heck of a three-day conference they went saw. <laughs> because if you think about all the problems they had with the screenplay, at least, at least it came out well in the wash at the end. In 2005, in its first year of eligibility, it's inducted into the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And this is a computerized kids' movie. Well, it, it, it is. It is aesthetically, mm. yeah. So a really deep dive on the context before we went in, but I think the story of how Toy Story comes to be, I think that was that was worth sort of knowing before we turned it on. Oh yeah, all the trials and tribulations to get, but the to end get product. to this point, yeah. like we went where we were with Tinny and a ventriloquist dummy. Oh, my God, and then we go to this. I reckon Tinny and the ventriloquist dummy will come out in ten years' time. I believe they'll milk this cow and just milked and they'll go back to the original idea. Please don't. Tin story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want the origin film. That, that's the origin movie right there. I like, st- that's our prequel. I still, I still <laughs> yeah. want the Nick Nolte, uh, Eddie Murphy yeah. version of it. So I'll tell you what, folks. We are now going to go ahead and we are going to watch it. So it'll be a couple hours for us, but it'll be a blink of an ear for you. It will. And so that's that. So we'll reconvene very, very shortly, and we'll see you on the flippity flap. Flip flap. And we are back. The blink of an ear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, maybe we should start off again by talking about because we were talking about it off, uh, off the mic. The difference between a Pixar film and a Disney film. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is there's three steps to to, to filmmaking. The first step is production. Distrib- then you have distribution, then you have exhibition. Okay? Yeah. So exhibition is the easiest one. That's who shows the film. So in this case, it would be um, Cineworld, um, Cineplex Odeon in the States, Odeon. locally. The uh, Majestic Theater. The, the Majestic Theater up in King's Lynn. God <laughs> bless you. Cinema. My favorite cinema. cinema. I hope to get up there very soon. We do. We um, miss you guys. We miss you guys. Um, so that's the easy one. Okay, so, so the production team is who makes a film. Okay? And... Uh, Usually, Walt Disney Animation Studios would make most, in-house, they would make most of their own films. So Robin Hood, um, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, things like that are made by Disney in-house. Yeah. Okay. Disney also owned a distribution company, also known as a studio at times. Okay? And so anything you see, like Warner Brothers, uh, the the big ones, Warner Brothers, Disney, Paramount, Universal, these are distribution companies. Now, they can make the movies, but a lot of times they're used as a middleman by other people who have made pictures so that, like, Disney has contracts with Cineplex Odeon or Cineworld about how, you know, they're going to get that film into theaters. Yeah. And that's something that, like, if you and I had our own, uh, we, we can make a great film. That's totally plausible. And we should make a film one day. <laughs> but um, we wouldn't have the means to get it into theaters. We wouldn't have the means to make multiple copies. of, Especially in the old days, we had to make physical copies of film reel. Okay. So could we physically make a film ourselves? Yep. And if that was good enough, we could get somebody like Paramount or Universal? Well, typically what would happen is you would go to like a, um, a film festival. Yeah. And you would sort of show your film there. And what you're hoping is that one of these production companies, sorry, we're production companies, one of these distributors would pick it up and want to show it. Okay. So if you ever see like Fox Searchlight Pictures, yeah. that's typically how they get all their films. 
A bit like how Blair Witch Project was picked up. Yeah, kind of like that. Like a small, small picture was made. Little Miss Sunshine is another example yeah. of one that was made by a small production company. And then uh, I think that one was Fox. Took it and went uh, and distributed across. The thing. And the distributor also pays for the marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in this case, Pixar makes the film, even though with Disney's partnership. It was like a partnership ahead of time that they're going to make it. They're going to sort of collaborate with Disney along the way yeah. and give them ownership of elements of the funding. But still, it's still Pixar sort of making the film and then Disney distributing that film across and begins a partnership which is mutually advantageous for both sides. That's really interesting because I always understood it that Pixar was a completely separate company and Disney jumped on board after the success. Yeah, they kind of, I mean, dis, they make the most sense for each other. Yeah. Because Pixar would have struggled to get the film in the theaters. Yeah, I wouldn't know that. And to advertise it. And you might not, without some backing, which I imagine might have come from Disney, you might not, you wouldn't get Tim Allen for sure, because he was on that ABC show, Home Improvement. Yeah. And you might have struggled to get Tom Hanks, because it helps to have that Disney brand behind you. Yeah, of course. Make sense? Yep. Okay. So that's a little bit of uh, <laughs> entry level media, well, not entry level, A level media studies and film studies for you there. So, as we said, Pixar film, and it's the first time we get to see that glorious um, lamp jump across the screen. Does he have a name, Ethan? Uh, yes, he does. Um, is it Lumo? No, there's Luxo Jr., and no, oh, God, I cannot remember. Okay. This is bad. But I'm really annoyed because Disney Plus changed the intro slightly. It's Did they not have- the. Is it's it because like it, it was that glorious 3D like, castle? Yeah, no, the original is this whole thing where it's like, dude, dude, dude. Like, it's very 2000s-y, very okay. 90s. Where like, you mean like it was flat. like Fred, Fred Durst was singing it or something? Or? <laughs> yeah, Fred Durst was singing it, and there's just like all this edgy music. No, it's, it's like a lot more like subdued. There's just like a, a, like a light blue background and just like a 2D castle. Yeah. And that's gone in the Disney Plus release. It's just that modern Disney. It's that modern everything to yeah. the three. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A shame. Probably something that which, Pixar may have helped create in the aftermath, but still. Which kind of sucks because the opening of that film, the music at the beginning of the original intro, mm-hmm. then would lead into the beginning of the film. It wasn't Disney logo, then Pixar. It was Pixar, then Disney logo. Okay. Which really threw me. And so we start off, and it's kind of in a, a tradition in um, Toy Story films that we begin with some sort of, um, I don't know what to call it, besides like a play that Andy's doing with his toys. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a scene that, that it's, a, it's a scene that he's narrating, and maybe it is meta. Maybe it represents what the filmmakers can do with the toys they have at their disposal, these characters and these computers. But we actually get him sort of talking through this idea. And this is where you start to see some of the little details, like how he spelled bank. And it looks like a kid's writing of bank and these cardboard. Man, I'll tell you what. Andy's got more cardboard at his disposal than I did as a kid. Because I would have killed to have had some of these, like, fake buildings. He's also got some serious crafting skills for one so young. Yeah. Like, some of this set is pretty impressive, especially when he makes the buzz wings later on. It's like a little buzz costume yeah, in his wardrobe. Cool. And there's like, it's even like old Western kind of music, especially when Sheriff Woody first appears to save the day. It's like this heroic Western theme behind it. And I noticed here, like the little details, not just in the um, cardboard sort of buildings, but also just in the room in general. You've got some scuffing oh, around yeah. the boards and the way the light hits the Venetian blinds. And then it's got like trails on the floor, stuff that you really couldn't have done in a 2D environment at this point. All the books are um, references to all Pixar things. There's like a book called Knickknack, which is an old short they did. They have a they have a tin toy book, which actually the name of the author is Lassiter. <laughs> um so it's like all that old sort of 80s 90s um 
sort of shorts they'd done have been now the books in Andy's room, which I thought was nice. That's really clever. And mm. you hear when Woody makes his uh, grand entrance, he does the whole reach for the sky. But even the reach for the sky, it sounds worn out. Yes. It sounds, and the sky, like, it drags. And so, like, it wasn't just like they waited until Buzz shows up to make that change and show, like, if you're paying attention, you, you, can, you can notice the nuance here. Um, and so that's where we get introduced to One-Eyed Bart who's Mr. Potato Head. A little known fact, or an interesting fact maybe, is that uh, Mr. Potato Head, played by Don, Don Rickles, yeah. who's the American comic, uh, and he does a quick line later on that says, what you looking at, you hockey puck? <laughs> and apparently that's Don Rickles' like, catchphrase, like outside of Toy Story. Oh, okay. So I thought oh. that, I thought, and they did borrow a lot of what people knew other voices from. They oh, borrowed a lot of it in this film. I found it really interesting actually to watch this film, because I've only, I've only seen it once before. Um, several years ago and to watch it sort of with fresh eyes knowing more about the actors that voice the characters was really interesting to be like well that's obviously tom hanks it sounds so much like him and <laughs> it looks um, like him. and um when when rex comes in because that's um wallace sean, wallace sean um which we've we, we've done a lot of him on the best one ever podcast yes. lately so like his voice is really distinguishable and i've never noticed those details before so it's really interesting to kind of go back and watch it as an adult it is uh, back to when I bark, though, uh, when his eye comes out, it's interesting because Mr. Potato Head's eyes are joined in real yeah, life. Yes. Mm. So you, in, and, and, and the place you would put it in would be like a little dot between his eye, like between the eyes. It'd be where like the like point of the yeah. plastic would go. But in this one, they decided to make him and it set up a lot of jokes. Like he's called Picasso later <laughs> and all the sorts of stuff. So funny. And uh, I really liked Mr. Potato Head for what he was, which might be the closest thing that Woody had to a to a rival, a legit rival. Yeah. yeah, in Andy's room. He's almost his antagonist. Absolutely. I think he is. And actually really persuasive in rallying the other toys down the mm. line. Uh, yeah, definitely. And this is where they start to talk about who they have as backup. And um, Mr. Potato Head apparently has, One-Eyed Bart has something as a backup. I forget what it was. And then uh, Sh- Slinky. Slinky. Yeah, he's got this dog. And then Sheriff Woody has Rex the Dinosaur <laughs> as the backup. And I just thought when you were a kid, like you'd see all these like sets on TV or in like magazines. But of course you would get like He-Man. You wouldn't have like He-Man and the Castle Grayskull and the Battle Cat and the this. So you'd have to make do and use creative things like use the dinosaur as the sheriff sidekick. And you had to use this imagination or it wouldn't work. And I thought it was a lovely. It's not like Andy had all the toys. Andy had a believable smattering of toys. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then uh, we sort of see the end of that. Uh, he gets Andy gets called out of the room. All the toys go from being limp to being um, sort of animated. And this is where we get the rules of Toy Story. Yeah. If the kid's in the room, you don't respond. You well, go people lifeless. In people in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little bit of loose rules with pets. Yeah. But if it's if it's humans, you just play dead. Yeah. Is it before they play dead that we get You've Got a Friend in Me? It's kind of in the middle of them sort of playing dead. We see that the room around as you've got You've Got a Friend in Me comes okay. on. And so You've Got a Friend in Me is played uh, by oh, Randy, I love this song. Randy Newman. And it's, it's I, I forgot it came so early. This mm. is the only Pixar film to have full opening and full closing credits, but especially full opening credits over the start. Oh, okay. And not just jump right into the film. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, Randy. Is there a better voice for this than Randy Newman? Because we talked, Ethan, not long ago about Princess and the Frog. Yeah. And how Randy Newman did that one. And I went, it kind of, I don't know if it fully works, that Bayou sound with Randy Newman sort of arranging it. Uh, it it's awesome here. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Randy totally Newman's, works. like, real early Pixar, because he did this, he did Bugs Life, which is still my favorite Randy Newman song, because it's so stupid. I love Bugs Life. <laughs> but yeah, like, he, he was real early Pixar. I think, did he do Finding Nemo? I might be wrong. He did, like, the ending of every credit sequence for a long time. And I think that's that's why we like him for it, because we're like, oh, we hear Randy Newman. Ah, Pixar. I think it's yeah. very, like, um, like you said with uh, You'll Be Back in Hamilton, like, just you hear his voice and like ah, oh, it's the Pixar man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's very synonymous with Pixar. Yeah, and it's, it's also that he's just got he's got this buoyancy in his voice where he kind of goes up and down with notes like you got me. Like I think you have to use your whole mouth if you do like a uh, a, a Randy Newman kind of impression. It's all over the place. <laughs> and this is where we find out there is party time. And can I just say? I love the I love this film's animation for what it meant as a breakthrough. Man, the human beings are ugly in this film. So <laughs> I have so many notes about how gross they are. I, as soon as we saw I, the little baby sister, I was like, I think, oh, the, was not I, think I think the baby sister is uglier than anything Sid's got so in his bad. workshop. <laughs> the dog. No, the, I think the dog's the, the most ugliest looking thing in this film. What? A, but the, a dog's supposed to be exaggerated occasionally, isn't it? Like, yeah, but this he's baby like was elongated. Su- yeah, but this baby was supposed to be cute. <laughs> no way was that true. <laughs> and so um then we start to sort of get introduced to the side characters in their real voice and we get introduced to hammy and we get introduced to mr potato head and slinky the dog and slinky the dog is the only toy we see in this film that wasn't actually in production at the time that the film was made Oh, okay. And people who had the original Slinky the Dog said that um, Pixar made it look even cuter and made it look better than it was when it was in production. But it had all these classic 1980s, early 90s, but early 80s kind of era toys. Um, I've got some notes from Georgia here. Okay. Oh, cool. Excellent. Um, so Georgia's away doing her really cool summer job. Um, but um, It's kind of like Barney Stinson. What did you do from him, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> her really cool summer job. <laughs> um. But yeah, so she sent me she sent me some notes before she went away. Um, so she said she really appreciated the animation on a lot of these these toys at this point. So the fact that Bo Peep looks like porcelain compared to Woody. That's yeah. a really good point. And yeah. that and the and the others looking plastic. And then also about how Slinky's got the leather ears. I noticed that's why yeah. he's got lots of little kind of swirly details. And she also really likes the plastic edges on the army men. <laughs> I yes. Oh, man. like those little like plastic bits that would be yeah. good because because the mold would sort of yeah, have to be yeah. yeah. Rex is surprisingly well detailed. Rex is very well. Time he's so much like little details that maybe go oh cool. And in the staff meetings, we really get to know Rex for the first time, and he's very very nervous. He's played by Wallace Shawn. Rex comes directly from the mind of Joss Whedon. Oh, okay. He oh. added he added Rex to the story. The, the Rex was not involved in the beginning. It's he nice, likes nervous nice green guys in his films. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's... And, I mean, Wallace Shawn is basically playing Wallace Shawn. Of course. He's, like, he's just, like, he's he's nervous, he's anxious, he's everything that we find out that Wallace Shawn really is. And there's a lot of these things where you go, okay, even, even if you know him as that, if you knew him as Vizzini, or if you knew him as, you know, you're just going, okay, or you just kind of going, this is what I expect from Wallace Shawn. Yeah, playing to his strengths. Playing to his strengths. And so the audience can go, you get familiarity with the toys, but you also get familiarity with the voices and acting as you'd expect them to, and then marrying that to a toy that you might remember from your youth and going. And also the irony in having the big, strong, tough dinosaur played by little meek Wallace Shawn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, 
Then we have Bo Peep thanking Woody for saving her flock. And this is one of the few issues I have with the film, as far as its continuity uh, goes. Is, is little Bo Peep unaware that Woody himself didn't do anything to save the flock? I think she's just flirting. Is she just, she's flirting? just flirting? Yeah, all the okay. way through the film, she flirts. I, I hope heavily. she's. I hope she's just flirting, or else, oh, yeah. or else she's the one person who doesn't get what's going on. Yeah, no. Does she believe she actually is? Does she have the same sort of thing as as Buzz? And no one's told her you are just a toy. You don't really have sheep. <laughs> um, and then we find out that everybody has to get a moving buddy. And this was a really clever way of letting us know that there's a move in a week. It could have been done. Don't forget, there's a move next week. But this was felt a little bit more organic. So well done to the three-day conference. That was a, that was a nice touch. <laughs> they must have said, show, don't tell. Yeah. <laughs> must have been part of it. Um, and we start to see Potato Head is having a bit of a shot at Woody. And there's a bit of animosity between the two of them there. And it's even interesting that um, Andy sets us up for that by placing them as opponents right off the start. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's, I thought that was really, really interesting. And that carries on through the film. Though, it does. It? it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this giant fear because they found out there's going to be a um, there could be the party's been moved up and everyone's talk and Woody has to talk about that and go, don't worry. Andy loves us. He'd never get rid of any of us. And I'm going. Am I really supposed to believe that at this age, Andy has never gotten rid of a toy? Y- yeah. He's never had a toy break or given one away or got bored with it. And not only that, parents would normally just take things and throw them. His room would be way more cluttered than this. Perhaps the breaking thing is a bit different because it's not him actually making the choice to get rid of a toy because of having a new toy for a birthday kind of thing. Knowing what we know from the second one, yes. Because in the second one, they they delve into that whole, where does the broken toys go? Is it on the Uh, shelf or in the bin? Uh, But I guess in the context of this film and what we know to this point. Mm. Um, before they retcon themselves out of it. Um, and then we hear, they're here! And when that happens, there's panic. But as I said, they're here, and the panic begins. The camera tilts to a diagonal. And this is where I get to te- do a little bit of the whole teaching thing. So we call that a Dutch angle, also known as an askew angle, also known as a canted angle. But Dutch is the one, I think. It's the one My I use the most. favorite angle. The is it Thor really? angle. <laughs> the Thor, yeah. <laughs> Kenneth <laughs> Branagh loves himself a Dutch angle. So whenever we do Thor, you'll be like, I know what this is. <laughs> so you take anything. Sorry, and whenever, it's supposed to show that something's gone wrong. Yeah. Because if, if it was normal, you'd have a straight viewpoint on it. But they yeah. tilt it to go, this isn't right. Like in Titanic, whenever they go under, under deck, when it's got water coming on, if they're ever under deck, it's always a Dutch angle. Oh, okay. The whole film will be like, it, it, it gets to the point, once you see it, you're like, I, I can't unsee it. And I wish, James Cameron, you weren't so consistent with this because it feels almost lazy. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to say the Dutch angle was the ship sinking. <laughs> no. But the Dutch angle, I was going to say, the Dutch angle could represent the ship starting to go under. It could, yeah, although you would also have that then above deck as well. I think it's the idea that you can see the water being taken on on deck and therefore you get the dutch angle it's an easy way to make people feel uneasy yeah (laughs) easy uneasy well done Uh, and then we have the bucket of soldiers and they're going to go look for um what's coming to the party what kids are bringing what presents and so they're molded at the bottom and the way that they animated this was they actually like glued or stapled like the employee's shoes to like pieces of wood and like had them walk it was very clever and you they actually like it. like they like recorded it so they could like copy that like movement all that's the way cool. down that's amazing I, I hope that at least disney like paid for new shoes for the <laughs> 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 uh 
Um, and so Andy's mom, we start to share a little bit, come on kids into the room, we're going to open presents. And this is where we started the conversation about who is Andy's mom. And I was going to throw us a big question, guess who Andy's mom is, <laughs> but everybody started looking it up. So I was like, all right, I didn't look but it up. you didn't look it up and you knew who it was. And so it was Laurie Metcalf, Laurie Metcalf making her second appearance on the talk in the Mickey podcast. Ethan, do you remember the first one? Oh no. No, <laughs> no, I don't. Oh God. Ellie, do you remember the first one? Oh, wait. See, all you guys acting also smart. Yes, it's Treasure Planet. She's Jim's mom. Jim's mom. And we actually said, I think my little grumble on that one was how under you she was. I I, I thought if you got Laurie Metcalf, you should do more with her. And I think this one did the right amount. I don't know what more you could have done with Andy's mom in this film. She's an actress that just pops up in most films. It's not a film about mom. It's not not even really a film about Andy. No. It's a film about the toys. So I, I thought they got that right. I'd never, as much as I've seen this film before, I'd never put her voice. No, I, I never had until, until I did my research, yeah. Well, I didn't do any research today. But... I'd be curious to see if I didn't know if I'd have picked it up. Yeah. yeah so well done to you. Yeah. Um, and then we go through all the toys and... Um... I'd also be interested to know if um, anybody else thought that Andy sounded like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> you, were, you were so <laughs> sure it was, it was Macaulay Culkin. Like... This is a bit of trivia I wasn't going to bring up because it meant nothing. But since you brought it up, he was like sort of the 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 go to Macaulay Culkin um like rip off almost. What this he this, this him kid in the video game? So this kid, alone. so this kid is oh, discount okay. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, that's there's, excellent. There's, there's a, there's <laughs> a series the of one. games I have next to me from like the early '90s called Lego Island, and originally it was going to have Macaulay Culkin, and they were like, "Well, we can't get Macaulay Culkin anymore." Hey, kid. Do you want to voice really? the main character in the study? He was like, yeah, fine. I'm used to it. John Morris. John Morris. Now, I'm going to be honest, because I totally discounted Liam. I'm like, sure it is, Liam. Sure it sounds just like him. <laughs> I, I didn't tell him, but I was like, it's not. And no. we hear you say that. No, so I'm wearing that. Absolutely. You were right. I was wrong. He was wrong. Folks. I was wrong. And we have it in recorded form now. We do. <laughs> I should bring this up. Hashtag Ian is wrong. It'll be in some sort of a mega clip later on. You'll find that when I play play this it'll be i was bleed <laughs> <laughs> episode 167 coming back to episode 21 please <laughs> and so um at this point i mean i started seeing a lot more of the scuffs on the uh, skirt boards around the house and things like that and we keep getting reports that everything's okay except for andy's mum steps on one of the soldiers mm. and it's the whole is easy because it, it's like it took a world in which I'm sure parents could feel as relatable. You open the door, and there's the toys. And the kids are going, I didn't do it. And it gives everybody an out. It's such a creative way to do this. <laughs> and so this is where they start, so, you know, we're not leaving a man behind, da-da-da-da-da. And he's, like, like sort of twisted off the base that he's on a little yeah. bit. Oh, it was yeah. so clever. Um, I really, really appreciated the underscoring of this bit when the soldiers were going, going to place the walkie-talkie. Um, they had like a little brass kind of marching band yes. kind of feel was it to like, it. Um, I never picked up on at the time, but was, thinking back, was it like um, the Great Escape type thing? It had a little it bit, touches yeah. of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I noticed it because it was brass bandy, and that's oh, okay. like my background, so it stood out more to yeah. me. So probably that kind of similar feel to Great Escape, yeah. Oh, cool. And so there's a surprise present, and we don't get to know what it is. This is the point where in the st- when the little walkie-talkie mo- mobile thing goes, it falls, and you don't have access to it, yeah. and it's all staticky. And everybody else is sort of told, uh, "Oh, what is it?" And the kids are reacting really, really big, and it's all Enigma code, so it builds our it builds our expectation. We finally do see it. 
um, the play school speaker drops, um, the batteries fall out and they're trying to put it back in. And Woody's starting to get a little bit testy. And I think you mentioned, and I added in my notes, Yeah, I'm seeing elements of, I think maybe that jerk that Tom Hanks was talking about in the recording session. You're seeing bits yeah. of it here where he's been a bit of a jerk with them. And he's like that for a little bit longer than you would expect. Now you could argue this shows that Woody's, you know, everything's going to be fine. It's all facade. And he's really, really worried about being replaced. But it did feel like a bit of a tonal shift. Yeah, it did, yeah. didn't it? Uh, and then uh, the kids all come into the room. And we don't see what the toy is yet, but we do see that Woody is just pushed off the bed to make room. Like, that was a big old bed. You know what I mean? Like, we talked the last episode on Talking to Mickey about Mr. Toad and his bed. It wasn't quite that big. <laughs> but there was room for Buzz and Woody on that bed. And probably the rest of the toys while we're at it as well. Uh, and then enter Buzz. And we get this glorious kind of um, pan up to see him from his feet all the way up to his head. And he's dressed in purple and green because these were John Lasseter and his wife's favorite colors. So they put them on there and that's really all the reason why it's there. (laughs) And we get a point of view shot from Buzz. Now I would be very interested in knowing kind of what Buzz, who feels he's a spaceman, at what point does Buzz gain consciousness? That's terrifying. in the toy world, because in, in in the future movies, they will they will suggest late they will suggest the toys are cognizant at various points. But as far as we know in Toy Story One, which is all we know to this point, yeah, what is it? Is it once your box is opened, do you gain? Con- is that like being born? You know, when you saw the first shot of him pan up, yeah, he has a deadpan face, like how Woody would be when he goes limp, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he his face changes very quickly yeah. into a motion face. So I think that was then. Is that his? Is that his birth in a sense? In a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just a thought. That trill and the music could could like add to it as well because it's almost, it's very sort of like life. I'm a real boy. <laughs> I'm a real boy. I'm a real toy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real boss. Um, and then the toys meet Buzz, and Hammy starts talking about. Well, he's got one of your newfangled sounds. He was he was Cliff Clavin. <laughs> he was John Ratzenberger is not even trying. Like the only way they could have done it more so is if they had him in a post carrier's uniform and ask him for a beer. Even as a child, I knew that was him. Yeah, yeah, I knew that one. You know, I knew that was him. To be fair, when you say child, we were both sixteen at the time, buddy. Fifteen. Oh, you were fifteen. I was sixteen. I was fifteen. <laughs> was yeah. I sixteen yet? I forget when it came out. Ninety-five. No, it came out in November, so I would be sixteen. Yeah. Uh, so you know, this creates like one of my favorite jokes. Um, was when they're talking about like the the toy companies they're from, and he's like, "Oh, I'm fr- I'm I'm from I'm from Japan, blah blah blah." And then Rex is like, "Well, I'm from Mattel, but I'm actually from a small subset of Mattel that was because of a buyout." And I'm like, "This doesn't this shouldn't exist." In Which a actually, I, I wonder if that's a metaphor for the idea that we're Disney, but we're not really Disney. Exactly. We're a small subsection. Yeah, it's really interesting if that's kind of what it's like to be there and go, "Well, I'm Disney, but I'm not really Disney." Yeah. I think there there's so something many in jokes that. that like flew over my head until like I watched it this time. And, exactly, same. That's not even a joke, but I'm laughing at it. Yeah. And Mr. Potato Head then starts to make fun of Woody's drawstring sounds, and um, all. And then Buzz is introducing himself, and Woody realizes he's just quoting the monologue on the side of the box, and he never calls him out on that, which would have been a really easy win. Yeah. For as insecure and as much as Woody would bring up, that felt like it would have been something he would have done. 
maybe that was a kind of a redeeming factor because because Woody has no redeeming factors right now. So maybe this is the yeah. start of the, the psychological. He does. I mean, he does seem to be a valued leader amongst the toys, exception of Mister Potato Head, and says, "Find a buddy," and all this, and reassures them. But he seems very dictatorship. Yeah. If can, you know what I mean. can I just mention what the likelihood is that no other kid would bring a toy? Yeah. <laughs> just a thought. And he's he's got such an ego. Who? But, uh, Woody. Woody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Such an ego. Uh, and then we have a song, our second one, Strange Things Are Happening. And as this is going on, we see kind of a before and after, the the buzz effect, if you will. And before we had, we have Woody, he's standing in front of a bulletin board with a hand-drawn picture of Woody, and that is actually a representation of the concept art they had for Woody very, very early on. <laughs> oh, that's I thought it might have been. And so, nice. as this yeah. goes on, though, we see that the kid gets a new Buzz Lightyear poster, the yeah. kid gets new Buzz Lightyear sheets, Pizza. the kid, now the sheets could have been the present, because we talked about new sheets. Yeah. I had those sheets. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My question is this, the kid's moving in a week. Why are you putting a new poster up? Yeah, God. <laughs> just maybe save it for the new house and then put it up there so it doesn't get wrinkled or folded. Um, and why are you buying him new bed sheets? Why buy- well, that could have been the yeah, sheets, sheets from the party, but at the very least, why would you put the new ones on if you're going to be moving it? Unless yeah, he's, he's really, really, really excited. I guess, yeah. But the poster's the big one for me. Woody is now put in the toy box at night. He's no longer on the bed. Uh, I love the toy box, though. Did you notice how, us, uh, how that was um, a wagon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 like, like like an old cowboy western like shuttle wagon? wagon yeah, 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 yeah. Like his his room is completely cowboy themed. Yeah, all the way through. And there is, I didn't want to get into it, but well, maybe not at this point, but maybe now's a good time to do it. There is a theory about Woody, about whose toy Woody is. Right. Oh. Because, is. because Woody is, it looks like Woody's a little bit too worn to just be um, a toy that, He's had since kindergarten. Oh, okay. So the question is, we don't see Woody's. We don't see Woody's. We don't see. An, <laughs> we don't see Andy's father. Ah, oh, right. Yes. And so the the sort of thought is maybe Andy's so attached to Woody because it was a present from his father. I mean, he's got a cowboy hat that he wears himself. And is this some sort of a? Hand me down, memento, something beyond that. And I also wonder, because we find out you've been his favorite since kindergarten, who was his favorite before kindergarten? And is there a chance it was Mr. Potato Head? I reckon so. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because this feels, Potato Head treats Woody, I think in many ways, the way Woody treats Buzz. Just Potato Head doesn't have the eloquence or the manipulative skills besides insults to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And Woody's still mean. What does he really mean at this he's, point? He's, he, yeah, he is. He's really patronizing. He is. And this is where we then come out of it, and um, Buzz says that um, their, their, their leader has marked him with his symbol, which is weird, because at certain points, these, these, these toys can read. But at this point, it's not a symbol, including Buzz. Buzz can read, because he reads when they get to the pizza planet. Am I right in thinking that on... Buzz's foot, Andy is written with the N in the right place. It's the yeah. D is backwards or something like no, that. No, yeah. on, Wo- on Woody's, on foot, Woody's it's, foot, it's backwards. It's backwards, yeah. So yeah. it's like he's learnt to spell better yeah. in between the times. It's, it's, it's a nice really nice and it's, detail. And it's faded as well, which yeah. is a really nice touch. Good on Buzz to respect the, the being a toy thing. 
that's my this is my thing here. This is the big plot hole of the um thing potentially is why does Buzz respect the whole play dead? Yeah. So mm. the question is, Buzz might not here's my theory. And you could easily argue this and say it's not a plot hole. Buzz believes he's a spaceman, but instinctually, Buzz knows he's a toy. And therefore, out of instinct alone, Buzz knows how to play dead. He might not be able to explain it. He might think of it as sleeping. He might like, think of it as being... like a dog who's never been in water before instinctively starts swimming. Yeah, kind of yeah, like that. Yeah. And is unaware of why he's doing it. Yeah. There's a theory there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. And just one more. Like, why are Buzz Lightyear's the only toys who don't know their toys? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we, not even what, well, Woody, you had the same thing happen to you when you showed Like, no one said that. That's true. I like to imagine just the same thing happened with Miss Potato Head, but he's like, you're not from the 1800s. You don't have dysentery. Stop it, Woody. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably they all you you yeah. prepared that. That is not fresh off your head. That is that is that is a new. joke I've made to my friends is over that? like seven <laughs> years. Um, and so uh, they have an argument about being a toy versus not being a toy. And Woody opens the helmet. Is that what we call it? Yeah. Yeah. And originally, because um, Buzz like gasps for air and looks all concerned. And originally, they were going to have either Woody no sell it, or they were going to have Woody look concerned. Or laugh, and none of these were getting the joke they wanted. So, what if we played it so like Woody's really like bored, like he's like, "When are you going to give this up?" And that's what they went for in the end. Was this sort it works of so well? It does work so well. It's one of my favorite parts. Um, and one of the great lines here is because at this point the, the, the penny drops with Woody. He goes, "You really believe you are a space ranger?" Yeah. He goes, "Look, an alien." Look, Buzz, an alien. Where? <laughs> great line. Um. And we get a quick introduction to Sid in the yard next door. Sid Phillips. Blowing stuff up. Blowing stuff mm. up. Sid Phillips is actually apparently named after a real Pixar animator. Oh, really? Who, liked, who did like to like blow toys up <laughs> for whatever reason. I mean, we've all known as Sid. If you didn't know as Sid, you were the Sid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I was hoping Toy Story 2 would be Revenge of the Sid, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been the third one. <laughs> Actually, ironically, he's in the third one. He, he is. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. And this is where we find out they're going to Pizza Planet, and they can bring any toy they want. And Woody wants to know if they, he will get picked and consults his Magic 8-Ball. And there are five negative squares on a Magic 8-Ball dice out of 20, and he got one of the five negatives. Uh, does, doesn't look good, I think it was. <laughs> Don't count on it, Don't I count on it. And so this is when Woody, like, what's his plan? His plan is to knock Buzz off the bed to the floor. Yeah, not out of the window. There's like a little crack between yeah. the bed and the, and the wall. Stuck in, so he wouldn't be able to crawl out, I think. Just fall in the back and yeah. maybe the kid wouldn't look there. Which is where the yeah. magic eight ball fell. But due to circumstance and craziness and wouldn't you know it, uh, Buzz gets knocked out the window, but not before. As the bulletin board falls, it sounds like a skyscraper is falling from like an, an action movie, like girders are bending. I thought that was a nice touch because I'm supposed to believe that these things are all like these toys are in like a proper human environment, but then wouldn't it seem giant? And it was one of the few times you actually got a payoff to I, what that should feel like. I also like the um, the globe rolling because that was reminiscent of Indiana Jones. 
Yeah. I thought that was quite cool. You know what wasn't a nice touch? The Wilhelm scream. <laughs> you know what we haven't mentioned yet? And I, I feel like we need to try, take a step back. Yeah. Woody can fly. Woody can fly. No. Well, no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Buzz can fly. <laughs> or can he? So they get into a debate about flying. And Buzz says, I could fly anywhere around this room if I wanted With to. With my eyes closed. With my eyes closed. And Woody's like, fine, go ahead. And the benefit for Buzz is that he really believes he can do this. So he doesn't know any better. So yeah. he like... He jumps off and he lands on like. Oh, can I just say I appreciated the Hot Wheels like track set with the loops. That was cool. <laughs> I so wanted one of those as a kid. But he gets they in never the, work. No, he gets in the loop and he flies up and he gets caught on some like airplane mobile that's on like the ceiling. Which I'm sorry, Andy's way too old to have that. Isn't that for his sister's cot that's in the room? Is his sister's cot? No, oh, yes, it is. She's playing in it at the yeah, start. It's a of bit the weird. Film. He um, also. And it goes he very also. Quickly. He also bounces off like a bouncy ball thing. Yeah, bouncy start, ball. Yeah. And so it gives the illu- it's all you ever toys. Like, it basically, it's one of those things where it'll reinforce whatever opinion you had to begin with. If you believe that he could fly, I just saw him fly. If you went, no, you can't fly, he's not flying. And so as they all herald Buzz, uh, Woody goes, that wasn't flying, that was falling with style. I love that sign. Which is a great <laughs> line. Uh, now back to where we were, and Buzz has been knocked out the window. And I don't know... If I needed um, RC and the Etch-A-Sketch to tell us that uh, Woody did it, I thought all the other toys would have seen that. Because yeah. it was a giant, like, it, it was like an eight-step process that resulted <laughs> in him getting knocked down. Yeah. I guess you needed them to not see it so that they could believe that it was just Woody being mean. Because I think otherwise it would have explained yeah. what happened. I guess. I don't know. Well, those things. One of those things where you're going, no, 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 I know I don't like him, but I didn't want it to go this far. No. Um, how much blame do we give Woody for this? It's not what he wanted, but still, his actions caused this. Yes. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it, it, it is his fault. He's the one that instigated it. It would have been easier if he just, you know, pushed him. Because Buzz moves out the way, and because of that, that causes it. It would have been just easier to push him. So it, it's, it's entirely Woody's fault. I think the plan that he had initially is worse. Because if if Buzz were to get knocked down that sort of crevice behind the bed, he might get left there forever and not be included in the move. You know they're going to take the bed with them, right? Yeah, but it was like behind a panel or something. It wasn't just under the bed. No, because Woody got knocked under the bed and crawled out, didn't he? You can crawl underneath the bed, but this was like trapped down a separate bit. So I think the idea is that he wouldn't be found. You would have had to have assumed, though, that all the other toys are going to ignore Buzz screaming for help for three days. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> hey, where's Buzz? I don't know. <laughs> also assume that he fell at such an awkward angle that he just got completely just wedged know, and couldn't just, like, tweak himself out. You just know out. that Mr. Potato had to take his ear off and go, I hear him, he's over here. <laughs> and so uh, Buzz and Woody kind of end up going to Pizza Planet. And here's my question. So you're Buzz, and you believe you can fly, and you're on the ground, and there's the car. But yet he runs over, and he like jumps and pulls himself up. If I believe I can fly, I'm just flying to the car. Mm. I, this causes me to suspend my disbelief a little. I mean, I'm sitting there going, if I believe I can fly, why am I running anywhere? Yeah, He's true. like two meters away, to be fair. But like well, two meters by our distance, and like that's not like a small step up into the van. <laughs> Um, and so there's a fight between Woody and Buzz as they stop at the Dyco Pro? Dino- oh, Dynaco. Dynaco. Yeah. That's the company throughout Pixar, which is then personified by one of the cars in Cars. They're like the big 
car race company. Yeah, that's, that that's what Lightning McQueen wants to race for them. Yeah. Yeah, he wants that team. Um, and there's a fight, and they fight on the tarmac, the pavement of the petrol station, or the gas station for our American listeners. Um, and um, the car drives off and leaves him on the ground, and the license plate reads A113. Ethan, you want to explain the, the, the significance of A113? It's the special number. Um, this is the sort of big animation number that Pixar and several other animation companies used. The, it was the uh, number on the door at CalArts where they would always study for animation. And so you tend to find that dropped in every Pixar film in some capacity. That's cool. It was on a door for The Incredibles, wasn't it? When, yeah. In our recent episode. It was actually like called out. He will meet you in room A113, which usually oh. doesn't happen that verbally. Usually it's a bit more subtle, but Incredibles, I guess Brad Bird <laughs> went... Make sure everybody knows I didn't put in the Pizza Planet, but I put in the A113. <laughs> so, um, Buzz tries to give his report that he's stuck on a planet with, with a local sheriff, and they have to play dead again. And again, I still don't know why. I don't know why Buzz respects the Lori. I don't think he the played dead. I thought he just went out the way. Does he? Okay. But yeah. Woody plays dead and almost gets his head crushed. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of dark moments. No satire. Yeah. Um,. And then this is where, Bu- is not small. This is where Buzz reveals his plan. He's saving the planet from the evil Emperor Zorg, who's creating the planet-destroying weapon that he has the plans for its only tactical um, weakness. And yes, it was plans to Space Command. So Buzz this Lightyear... This reminds me of a film that I was once reviewing on this same podcast. Yeah, but bu- bu- Buzz Lightyear is R2-D2, isn't he? Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't he? I mean... Yeah, he's like he's got the secret plans that's going to help the Death Star blow up. Yeah, he needs to get him to Obi Wan. (laughs) And this is where I went. John Lasseter worked at Lucasfilm. Yes, he did. So I'm thinking maybe there's a little bit of a wink and a nod to his because remember he's got script and story privileges on this one, doesn't he? Yeah. We haven't talked about Buzz's name though. Do you know who Buzz is named after? I'm guessing Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, second man on the moon. Yeah. So, um, third man actually. Which is actually the cameraman was the, was the first man. <laughs> which yeah, <laughs> which is actually the uh, second film we've got with a, a Buzz Aldrin reference, I suppose, is, after yeah. Apollo 13, thirteen. Yeah, where they babysat uh, the astronaut's mum. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whose name I forget. Jim, I want to say Jim. Jim yeah. yeah, Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell. Very good. And so. Um, Woody finds a Pizza Planet truck and realizes that's how he can get to Pizza Planet, which is probably pretty clever on his part. Um, but Buzz won't respond, so he has to tell him he found a spaceship. Which and, is quite clever. Uh, Buzz then straps himself into the front seat next to the pizza. Um, <laughs> so smug. <laughs> but he's got like a, here's the problem: he's got like a truck full of pizzas. So how many? How long are they in that car for before they get back to Pizza Planet? Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> the time that that kid gets back, it probably have long gone. Why does the delivery driver not see Buzz just sat there next to the because pizzas? <laughs> no, but when he gets rid of the pizzas yeah. to deliver them to oh, people, no, exactly. yeah. and also, I mean, he did sound stoned. And he does sound stoned. <laughs> true. I, I think the kid ate half the pizzas himself. <laughs> um, and then the question is, Andy. Andy is told he can bring one toy with him to Pizza Planet. But then doesn't notice that like Woody's gone until after they get home. So why did you bring a toy if you thought is the toy just for the car ride? I think so. Yeah, it could have been. Maybe um, they get to. And I want to know because this pizza planet looks awesome. But so I want to cool. know what's the business plan for this pizza planet because that is a whole lot of infrastructure that went into just into the exterior. Branding is everything. 
Like they're like a tower and a proper rocket. It's yeah, amazing. But, isn't that like that in America anyway? Look at, I've look never at the, seen uh, that. Look at the, the donut guy, that kid donut thing. and What, uh, Tiny Tim Donuts? Is that what it is? I think so. I mean, that's like a huge whopping great thing in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe that's just the avatar. It seemed really cool. It was like if you had like a super arcade meet like a pizza place. It's like if Chuck E. Cheese were like tripled its budget. <laughs> You'd think because of that, Disney would make their own uh, Pizza Planet in a Disney park. You would have no. Have you'd be wrong. I, I, thought, I thought they had one at one point. No, it was. But I it will was, yield. It, they called it Pizza Planet, but it was just a pizza place. It had nothing so, to do with the actual. So pizza it was. Planet. It was just the branding oh, itself. It was, it was just the yeah. name. Okay. And then it got turned into a Muppets themed one called Pizza Rizzo. Pizza Rizzo's fine. Okay, but it's not really Muppets themed. It makes no. me sad. Um, and so. This is where they get inside, finally, and uh, Buzz... Woody's ready to get them into the baby stroller, but Buzz has seen a rocket ship-looking thing that says, ready to launch. Now, he reads the bottom part and reads that fine, because he goes, oh, I better get in there, ready to launch. But right above it, it says, like, claw game or something like that. So, like, what words do you know how to read, and which words don't? Is it certain colors? I don't understand that. No. But he jumps in there. Uh, and this is where we meet. I mean, to be fair, I mean, before there were minions, there were the aliens <laughs> from, and for my money, cuter and cooler. Yeah, they really, yeah. yeah, they really, really are. And this is where we get the whole the claw. And I think this is a Joss Whedon thing too. I think okay. that this is one that, of his that would, creations. That would make sense. It's very cool yeah. and a little sci-fi and feels Joss Whedon it and this does. whole like hive mindset <laughs> and the claw. Like claw. They're very cute. Um, Georgia has a note on these as well um, because they say a stranger from the outside. Ooh, <laughs> and she said it's like all of us when lockdown is over. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Georgia. <laughs> and so. Um, the claw comes down, but the problem is that Sid is the one playing with the claw and grabs one of the many identical spacemen. And thanks to dramatic irony, because we know who Sid is, uh, when, when, the, when the little alien who's been grabbed by the claw says, goodbye, my friends, I go to a better place. We're like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> Sid sees, he calls it Nirvana later. He does, well. yes. Sid sees it refer, sees that there's a Buzz Lightyear toy there. And he, how many times do you play those machines and never win anything? And they never know. Sid's yeah, he's very good Sid's, at them. Like you'd grab it for a moment and yeah. then it would like let go, let go yeah. and you'd be like, come on, game. What, and there's no way he'd at? just grab his visor. And that, <laughs> I wouldn't slide <laughs> off. No. I mean, no. things are so rigged. <laughs> but Sid somehow, it would be a kid like Sid who would win it, wouldn't of it? Course. And uh, Woody tries to pull um, Buzz to, to freedom away from the claw but then all the aliens are like no no he has been chosen you must obey the claw <laughs> which i thought was really cute actually and so we know at this point that sid blows up toys because we saw sid blow up a toy earlier and the explosion has to happen off camera if you will because they hadn't quite figured out how to animate explosions yet oh. <laughs> that wouldn't happen until the incredible i like the fact that you didn't see it. it it's good if it leaves something to your imagination i like you saw the debris mm. just just yeah fly. yeah makes and, it more human yeah. And so uh, we go to Sid's house, and it's a savage-looking place, and the dog shows up, and Sid throws the alien to the dog, and then we, like, cut away, and I'm like, this is dark. He, like, swings it round first as well. It's yeah. proper brutal. And he, like, I like how the carpets, like, the, the carpets and the uh, hotel and the shining. So I think we kind of cross the idea of just how disturbed this house is and how yeah. disturbed Sid is. Well, you get to know how disturbed Sid is, because in his bedroom, he has a vice. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. It's very strange. Very strange. I want to know how did the same house produce Sid and his little sister? <laughs> she's yeah. lovely. Because she's lovely, but the parents must be completely deranged and disturbed to let him get away with what he's getting away There's with. There's so much yeah. weird stuff that's like no he, no parent in the world would allow this. I am surprised though they let him play with matches in the film mm. because kids are obviously watching. You know, I thought mm, that was a little bit. Yeah, there was a few things that were a little bit. Mm, You'd have got away with back he's in a like, villain, like the fifties, sixties, seventies, maybe the eighties. But I just thought, mm, I don't know, nineties. You probably wouldn't get it in a Disney, like Disney made film, but in a Pixar one, the themes are normally a little bit, bit more, more adult, edge, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. So. Uh, it's a bit of a horror film. We see kind of random toys come out, but have been Frankenstein together. We also see Sid do a surgery where he puts uh, a pterodactyl, a pterodactyl head. head on Janie, I think the name of the doll was, yeah. and vice yeah. versa. Um, and this bit was really creepy. It's supposed to be. Yeah. And the, the lighting in Sid's oh, room the lighting, is it's, really it's well dark done. as well. It's well like it, it is. Sid's room is like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a video game level, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can I just say? In the video game, it's like, it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, this film terrified me as a kid. Like, How cool it, is legs? The, the glow of the green is great. <laughs> with, with the little hook and everything. Oh, the legs that's oh, like a grappling hook on it? Oh, the hooker. Yeah. That's cool. Jeez. No, it's, it's literally like a hookup on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. And so uh, Woody decides they have to get free, uh, but this time, finally, uh, the kids realize that Woody's gone too. And if I'm this mom, I'm like... What don't you lose these days, kid? But she's she's like a parrot. I'm sure you'll find him. Yeah. You'll find him before the move. And Annie's fairly well. Okay, mom. I'm just kind of sad. Not, Maybe this happens all the time. Not this brand new toy. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't like. He doesn't give toys up. He just loses them a lot. Yeah. Imagine you give your kid like this new expensive Buzz Lightyear, and three days later he just loses it. I'd be livid. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, everybody back at Andy's room thinks that Woody's taken off. He added disgrace. Bo Peep's the only one who believes in him. The next day, we have some torture uh, that happens to... It's just something you say in most uh, Disney films, isn't it? <laughs> That's my torture. schedule for lockdown currently. <laughs> some torture of Woody, uh, who, if, <laughs> who if his Pop-Tarts, if Sid's Pop-Tarts aren't ready, God knows what happens to Woody in this film. <laughs> um, and the door is left open. Um, Buzz tries to kill the other toys. He's got his uh, little blazer just to kill. Doesn't work. He's really having a hard time with this. Um, Woody discovers he's got a karate chop, and they karate chop their way out of there, only to be found by a dog, which splits them up. Uh, Buzz wanders into a room where he hears, Buzz Lightyear, come in, Buzz Lightyear, Star Command. And then he, he goes to respond, but it's a little boy's voice instead who responds, and he finds a commercial that quite explicitly says, this is a toy. A toy. <laughs> yeah. And even at the bottom, not a flying toy. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I think it's the image where he sees like thousands of Buzz Lightyears on this one aisle. Like all they're going to sell in that aisle is Buzz Lightyears. Yeah. Like not even where I come from, where like Toys R Us's exist. Are you giving a whole aisle of like hundreds of one thing to Buzz Lightyear? No, it's just an exaggeration of the it toy of the year, isn't it? Yeah, and the idea that Buzz isn't unique. No. He's one of a mass-produced, which, to, to, to just be, whatever, like, these toys are all really cool with the idea that they are just one of, a, like, a million clones. Yeah. Like, if we consider the ramifications of, we talked about it a little bit when we did Wreck-It Ralph, but what are the social permutations of other Buzz Lightyears and other bedrooms all across the country? 
Mm. Are they also thinking that the, is Buzz unique in the fact that he thinks he's Buzz Lightyear and not a toy? Or does I every Buzz Lightyear so. have to deal with this sort of crisis? Aww. I think every Buzz all Lightyear the, has to deal with the crisis. Yeah, Aww. all the Buzz Lightyears <laughs> in the second one are like, you're breaking protocol, you're a oh, rogue really? agent, okay. what are you doing? Okay, fair enough. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's like his factory mode or something, I think. And so uh, then at this point, um, Buzz decides he's going to try and fly through a window. You get the song as well, Sailing No More. Sailing No More, yes. And it's it's very like in his inner thoughts, like basically the song's like, Mm. it doesn't, not exactly, but it's like, I'm now going to fly. I don't (laughs) care if I'm a toy. I'm going to fly through that window. Yes, that window I'm really singing. That kind of a thing. Or I'm just like, I mean, this is probably the closest to like a a traditional musical song you would have had. Yeah. Ellie. Um, Georgia made a really interesting point at this moment. Um, apparently, there is a copyright Disney symbol on Buzz's bum when there he tries is. to fly out of the window. And I, was, she's, oh. I found it in my research, but I was looking for it and couldn't see it. She's questioned whether that was added in afterwards. Uh, apparently, there's also been. one in his front as well, which we later find out in future films. Oh. But there is a Disney logo on both sides. Oh, and God. was it added in afterwards by Disney after taking over? Uh... That's an interesting thought. I don't think so. I don't think they could have messed with the animation itself. They, uh, I think the theatrical cut is this. They did for the 15th anniversary, I think, a few years ago. They mm. added, like, they touched some stuff up. And then I know there was one version where they put Wally, like, in a scene. And I have no idea if that was just an my, ad- advertising thing or not. My research didn't show me that they made a change on that. I got lots of things that said he's got a he's got a logo there, but nothing that said it was added. I think they would have specified it was added in after yeah, the fact. Um, and so he goes to his fly. He can't do it. He ends up breaking his arm and landing on the floor. And there's this shot of Buzz broken on the floor, and the camera zooms out and it also rotates. I think counterclockwise. Yeah. To give a sense of almost like where we're drawing from him or his belief or his spirit or his purpose is leaving him. And Monty Python director Terry Gilliam called this one of the most beautiful shots that he'd ever seen. And Rate's Toy Story is like one of his top five films of all time. Oh, nice. Which is something, I think. Yeah. And when they went to play this for like a test audience, John Lasseter said he knew they had a hit when he heard adults sobbing at this point. And I'm like, I was actually... It's it's interesting. I mean, I I've said a lot of stuff before. I mean, the, the, the Tim Allen thing didn't bug me, no. like I thought it would. Maybe I just needed twenty years to get over <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, folks, what I time played. is it? Tool time. Advertised <laughs> by Bimford Tools. <laughs> Ethan, what game did you play? There was there was some I think I have I think it must have been like Skyrim or something where there was a mod where every single sound effect was Tim Allen going. <laughs> and let me tell you, after playing for like three hours with that, you go a little bit insane. So I can understand where like the Tim Allen resentment comes from. Yes, <laughs> uh, especially because it was play, like in Canada, like you'd see it like five days a week. It was in like what we call syndication. Yeah, uh, which which you have here. I mean, you you know, if you watch um, E4, you can watch. Uh, at least you usually able to watch the Big Bang Theory like five nights a week. So it's the same sort of idea, but it was like Tim Taylor everywhere. That same formula. It's so formulaic, so so formulaic. Um, so then we. Um, what's his sister's name? Sid's sister. Uh, was it Hannah? Hannah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hannah finds um, Buzz and takes him away. And we cut back to Woody, who's been hiding in the closet, gets out of the closet, uh, goes to track down Buzz, and doesn't find Buzz. No, no, he finds someone that looks like Buzz, who's referred to as Mrs. Nesbitt. 
Mrs. Nesbitt is drunk off of Darjeeling tea. Um, My favorite joke with, um, oh, uh, he's having tea with, oh no, who's the woman who got beheaded during the French Revolution? Oh, Marie Antoinette? Yeah, he's like, Marie Antoinette and her sister. Her little sister or something like that, yeah. They get rushed back into Sid's room and they're looking for a way out and all the other toys kind of surround them. And it looks like they're, because previously they had taken the pterodactyl and the Janie doll away. But this is where we found out that they fixed the pterodactyl and the Janie doll and they are now going to fix Buzz. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, And then we find out, in comes Sid, the big one has been delivered. It's a single firecracker. And who are this kid's parents? This yeah. is the bit that really got me. So he's going to go ahead. He wants to blow up Woody. He can't find Woody because Woody's hidden under a milk crate like a smart boy. <laughs> but um, I love the fact he spreads himself across the top when he picks up the crate. But just before this, um, Woody tries to get out of, a do- of, the, um, of the area uh, using Christmas lights. Yes. That are left over. And he's still got this before uh, Woody, sorry, Buzz has been fixed. So he's got Buzz's arm. And he calls across to the neighboring house, which happens to be Andy's house. And he starts talking to them. He even throws in the lights. And um, they don't believe that uh, Woody's okay. Buzz is okay. He shows them the arm. They're temporarily mollified. Again, this is more led by Mr. Potato. And Mr. Potato Head's completely, how do we know? And then Woody makes the mistake of sort of showing them the dismembered arm. (laughs) And that makes them think that uh, Woody's a killer and they throw the Christmas lights away. Um, I found this bit really interesting. When Woody was was uh, talking with Buzz's arm, he's kind of talking out the side of his mouth like a ventriloquist would. Yes, he is. And I wondered if this was kind of like an interesting sort of callback to what you were saying earlier uh, about the original plans for, yeah, the, for the film. There's another little bit later, but I can't remember what it is just now, so I'll mention it when it comes up. Okay. And so they discard him, and they sort of walk away. And if you think, even if you're not cool with the fact that they threw him out the window, like you know what Sid can do to a toy. Exactly, yeah. This feels a bit cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even like his usual friends, like Bo Peep and Slinky the dog. But do you think that Potato Head is going like, this is my way, my back in? My way in. If you're Potato Head, you've gone from number three, arguably, number one. <laughs> yeah, because the other two are gone. Now, if you're the kid, like probably going for the dinosaur at this point over. Yeah, yeah. But still, maybe he thinks, yeah. You know? He does seem to be the loudest. Maybe he's the most like original Woody, like the bully of yeah. the group. Yeah. Um, And so... um. And at this point, he finds, like I said, he 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 straps um, the rocket to Buzz, and Woody's sort of trapped and is hidden himself inside this crate. But then a toolbox is put on top of the milk crate, and did anybody catch what was on the toolbox? No, no, a giant logo that said Binford. Yes, <laughs> so Binford yes. Tools, which is a callback to Timber Toolman Taylor yeah. on Home Improvement, which they could use because that was a creation of um abc television right which is disney corporation disney. Oh, so you okay. can use that without any issues it's not a real brand did tim allen come up with the idea of himself of what of home improvement and all that basically what would happen in the early 90s is they sought after real world comedians and tried to give them television shows bill cosby uh, oh, okay. roseanne barr yeah uh tim allen jerry seinfeld all got sitcoms and that was the vehicle by which you would sort of launch things and so tim allen was given he kind of had a more power his character as host of tool time is similar to what his stand-up gig would have been oh i thought that was a a thing he created himself which they 
jumped on the bandwagon. I of... believe the show was developed in participation with him. Okay. So he was part of a larger group. Uh, I, he may have had some ideas about the genesis of the character, uh, but I think it would be a multifaceted effect to get it to air. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Buzz has been fixed with the big one and the Binford toolbox. And um, <laughs> there's no Buzz or Woody. And I'm wondering at this point, why is Andy's mom not calling Pizza Planet to see if there's a Woody doll there? Yeah. Just a thought. Uh, Woody gives a big speech to Buzz about the glory about being a toy. It's better than being a space ranger. Which was very similar, I felt. I didn't think I made this comparison to the Talk in the Mickey episode where we talked about Homeward Bound and they were talking about what it means to be a dog (laughs) and the responsibility a dog has about how it brings joy to your owner and the toy brings joy to to the, the boys and girls who play with the toys and how that's an honor. And so Buzz pushes um, the uh, toolbox and the milk crate, and Woody's able to slip down through a gap and get out of the milk crate, but Buzz doesn't get this uh, information from Star Command <laughs> and pushes the bin for toolbox, and it, like, lands on Woody's head hard. Like, he had to be, like, a rubber-molded sort of thing that, like, the head would pop back out after getting squished. And yet when Buzz falls This from- was very, like, uh, like Crash. Is that what it's called? No, Drive. This is like Drive. <laughs> the head caves in. Yeah. <laughs> when Buzz falls from a height, his arm falls off, and then you drop an entire toolbox on Woody, and he's just like a little bit But Woody's dazed. not molded plastic, is he? He's cloth and stuffing, and then he's probably got like this rubber head with like an air release valve in it somewhere. You know how you just would squish them and they'd sort of fall back up? I yeah. guess. I hadn't really considered that he wasn't plastic. No. Yeah, in the fourth one, his head gets squished on and then it just pops back well, up and makes on, like spoilers, a spoilers, man, spoilers! <laughs> I don't want to know about fourth movie spoilers, stuff. Spoilers about the material yes, he's made with. Yes, jokes! Not jokes! I don't, know how we, I don't know how we lost Ethan's connection today, folks. <laughs> 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 I don't want to anymore. <laughs> it was the wild that was the final story. It was the spoiler was of, spoiler. of the series. <laughs> You talked about him losing his head, and then I lost mine. Uh, <laughs> so then um, Sid walks up and finds the two toys. Uh, well, no, he doesn't walk behind the two toys. He walks up and finds Buzz, takes Buzz out, and then Woody has a second speech, and this is how they come up with the breakout plan to the, 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 the sort of island of misfit toys sort of rebels. And basically, it's all about fooling the dog. It's really elaborate for fooling a dog. Clever. It's like Mission Impossible. It is Mission if, Impossible. If they could have gotten the music, that would have been a nice That'd touch, been I think. great, yeah. Because I um, thought that. Well, they did for Homeward Bound. Because 1995, I mean, it's not like. Uh, if Maybe Mission Impossible has just been launched that May. So yeah, it's, maybe. It's, it, maybe they couldn't get it, but it felt very Mission Impossible. It did, didn't it? They swap a light bulb around. They somehow manage to go through the light bulb gap on the front porch and ring the doorbell so that it tricks the dog into getting out. So they can then hit the doggy door to the backyard. Bit far fetched, though, isn't it? Because it's the sister that kicks the dog out as such yeah the door on him. there's a there's a lot of moving pieces that they couldn't yeah. have anticipated <laughs> no um but it works because <laughs> as georgia true. would say movies got a movie that's right yeah i was gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> i love it and so we get outside and but um sid finds woody and puts woody on a barbecue but like one of those charcoal barbecues mm. that you have to like thank god we didn't have a propane one <laughs> you just start that thing up right now and so he grabs a match and he puts a match for woody and he puts it in woody's like little belt and it's then he holster. goes to light 
um, Tim Toolman Taylor into outer space. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, he starts, Woody goes through all of his catchphrases on his drawstring just when he's about to hit one. So 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. In case you guys didn't know how to count down from 10, I just did that for you. You're wa- <laughs> Thank you're, you. You're welcome. This is so clever, this it's- scene. I thought you had me counting down from 10. <laughs> I'd disappoint you, but I'd rather listen to Bowie's do it. <laughs> yeah. Ground control to Major Tom. And um, to get down from 10 to 1. And we start hearing, like, reach for the sky, Pilgrim. And we saw all them. And then all of a sudden he's like, you're getting really specific. Like, I'm talking to you, Sid. <laughs> It'd be great if you like, started just like, you know, rambling off with aid for dinner or things like that. But it's not too far removed. It is a whole speech in that sort of drawstring voice, though. It's not full. It is scary, though. Especially when he does, like, the Exodus well, head. Well, and all the toys, like, yeah. like rise up like, yeah. like, like the, that, from the undead. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like the crow. The sand pit. Yeah. Everyone knows that if the music is like kind of scuffed it's like out of tune slightly it just makes it even more creepy everyone knows that if toys really love each other the death can't hold them back <laughs> <laughs> we see that little girl yeah and this was the other the other ventriloquist bit so um he says we toys can see everything and that's when he turns his head around but everything he said to that point he's had his mouth completely closed yes, it and it's been like a ventriloquist and then suddenly he opens his mouth properly to to talk when he says so play nice and his face becomes fully animated yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why that was so scary um which is it is scary it's dark it is it's dark break a kid yeah and then <laughs> uh oh i had something and i've lost it what was it oh oh the head spinning around is that poltergeist what is that the exorcist exorcist yeah. thank you yeah so i mean that's also a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> <Just a bit. laughs> um maybe this is the edgy content that maybe. uh jeffrey hansenberg was after <laughs> Let's put it all in one scene for them, shall we? Um, and so Sid like storms out crying so much so that like a little sister starts like mocking him with like her Janie doll. That's funny. Um, they get back. Well, they, they get back through the fence to next door, and they see the car. And Woody jumps on and is on the bumper of the car, but. Buzz can't get through, and Woody gives up his spot to rescue Buzz, which I think is something oh. the audience needed to see. You do because most, of the yeah, film- he saved his life, but this is like he's he's he has his goal, and he could have left him and been the number one toy. He could have been, yeah. But you need he need to be redeemed for everybody. But in the first step is the audience for us yeah. to go. I'm a hundred, and then from that point on, you're a hundred percent on board. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, we find out that there's not only is there the car, there's the moving van. And as they're sort of headed off to catch the moving van, um, the dog shows up. And um, I'm trying to remember how this works. So Buzz gets on the back of the van, but Woody can't. And then he jumps and he grabs a hold of that little fabric kind of pulley that sort of opens and closes the door. But then the dog, fastest and most persistent dog ever, catches up and like starts to pull Woody off of the and he it's almost like a stitching's almost getting ready to, to go yeah he gets his leg doesn't he yeah and he has and to he let go and he just says take care of andy which is again like at that point i think you, yeah. you've got to totally forgive him yeah. but buzz is like not on my watch because i'm a i'm a space, <laughs> space ranger, ranger slash toy <laughs> and he jumps off and helps and he like grabs the eyelids of the dog <laughs> yeah, <lift them> <laughs> i'm going but careful like i know the dog has been like a demon dog but it's still like a dog. We don't want a kids going like the answer is to abuse your pets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so 
somehow Woody gets back to the packing truck. How? There's a red light and it stops. Yeah. I can't remember. I is there like a lorry or is there another car or what is there? I think uh, it stops and then it jolts buzz off, but Woody's still on or something like that. And then he's able to open the the door. Yeah, up he opens it. the door and, yeah. he, and he sees the, the vanishers take off and he grabs, he opens the box of toys, grabs RC and just throws him out the back. Now, like you probably could spare a sentence or two here. Yeah. <laughs> but it just looks like they have toys. Like Woody has just gone mental. <laughs> He's just like murdering toys left and right. But it would just have imagine the same dramaticness with it. No, it wouldn't. So just imagine the guy who's been missing for like half of the week just arrives with like a wild look in his eye, opens the door up, grabs a toy, looking him dead in the eye, throws him out and just starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and like like this is almost really, really, really dark, and then the wrestler doll shows up, and like at the behest of the other toys, throws Woody off of the back of the van. I think I remember how Woody gets back on the back of the van. How's that? I think when Buzz jumps and hits the dog, it bounce, he he somehow bounces oh, okay. off. He he takes control of the dog. Yeah, and then oh, Woody yeah. gets back on. Okay, and he bounced back. So uh, at this point, um. RC is driving with um, Buzz at first, and so there's like for the wrestlers thrown above his head. Like for some reason, as Woody goes, so goes the car, which wouldn't happen. Which is not like it's like a GPS. Like no. he's, he's not playing like Nintendo Wii and where he moves the handset. The car goes. <laughs> even when he gets, even when he gets thrown in the air, the car jumps up in the air. I'm like, yeah, this is weird. Is weird. Advanced technology. Um, they are the hardest things to control. Are they not? <laughs> yeah, I had a remote control car as a kid. I never, I never had one. Oh my god, never. They, they Always so wanted difficult. one. So difficult. I had. The like the Toy Story RC card. Those oh, things. Up. Really? I I had a lot of of the Toy Story merch when Toy Story three <laughs> came out. When Toy Story three came out, they were like, "Hey, do you guys want the authentic replica with the with the exact boxes they came in?" So every kid was like, "Yes, please." So everyone got one, and it was it was cool. Side note, completely. The toys, if you left them for a bit, would interact with each other. They had like these senses that they'd talk and like. Woody would be like, hey guys, it's me, Woody. And Buzz would be like, hey, Woody. And I was terrified. That's brilliant. I was say, after that end scene where like, all the toys come to life and scare Sid, I mean, that's terrifying. <laughs> I never knew that. It's that's great. great. It's also really freaking fancy, though. You are, you say you are now. Saying that when, when I, I bring kid. friends around and they'd see it, they didn't know it, they'd be like, what's going on? <laughs> it was great. Um, and so the binoculars finds out that Woody was telling the truth. Now, I thought it was important the wrestler throws Woody off the van, because I don't think we'd forgive any of the characters we already knew. No, exactly. Now, though the wrestler will later help pull, pull them both to safety, yeah. uh, I still don't think that that's enough. No. And so I had to do that. Um, so Woody was telling the truth, uh, and then the batteries run out. <laughs> right? Is there, and isn't that the case? Anytime you had like a remote control or anything you need, batteries will die. And then just for kicks and giggles, I guess, we get a shot from inside the car where the little sister <laughs> notices like the car is driving, but it's to Akuna Matata's playing on the radio. Yeah, that's great. Which is from the year before, so it's quite good. Nice little, uh, it's brilliant. Uh, this is when Woody realizes that uh, Buzz has got a rocket <laughs> on him still. 
and they try to light it. And there's a, it's a great setup because he lights the match and the car just drives by and <laughs> extinguishes it. Um, I guess they're trying to tell us that Woody's, not Woody's, Buzz's helmet is made of real glass because somehow it'll like, light will go through it and yeah. get hot. Yeah, it glimmered as well, didn't I'm it? Not, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but no, all right. I can from trying with mine. doesn't work. No, at, least they, at least they paid off that bit earlier. They set it up and went, okay, here we yeah. go. Uh, lights the, the rocket up. And apparently rockets um, only explode when they get to a certain height in the sky, not how long they've been burning for. <laughs> because it goes straight for a long time and you can hear Woody's now why does Woody have fleshy face yeah, skin because <laughs> it was like flapping yeah. like a human being's would but I'm like no I wanted to go to him and go you are a toy you yeah. are a plaything. you are all these things which by the way one of my favorite lines in the whole thing is when Woody freaks out on him finally you are a toy <laughs> you are a child's plaything. and it's not the first time that a toy gets like hit with G-force because when um when Buzz is flying at the beginning, he has like a little bit of G-force, oh, does, but not true. like the extent that uh, uh, Woody has when he goes like full Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> Maybe Sid did some modifications on him where he attached Maybe. like actual flesh to hit the toys. <laughs> oh, oh, that's, that's disturbing. Um, <laughs> Sid is disturbing. Um, and How so to his parents. <laughs> and so. They get up. Oh, that's that's really disturbing. And so <laughs> the rocket goes up into the sky. At which point, Buzz goes, "I just remembered, rockets explode." <laughs> and I'm like, "I think at this uh, point, the audience no, because I think at this point the audience needed to know this because yeah, yeah. I think we're all going, shouldn't this have blown up by yeah. now?" And so he goes, "No, remember I have wings," and he cuts off. But he noticed he was taped, but, and then he just. I don't know. Well, could, I think the idea I think is that the, the force of the, the gaffer tape. Oh, okay. So the, the force of the um of the wings coming out. Like, is oh, it like okay. serrated blades? <laughs> <laughs> is this safe for children? <laughs> but it cuts through. I mean, Fingers off. Like, I don't know what kind of things happen. That little Apparently, that little bit of pressure is not stopping no. like duct tape, gaffer tape, electrical tape, whatever it is we're talking Apparently about. It doesn't matter what's safe for children in this film because no. you've got the serrated blades, you've got Sid Matches. playing with his rockets, you've got Mr. Potato Head being given to a baby when it's when he's only for kids over three. Matches. Yes. <laughs> and so they fall. Well, but uh, Woody goes, Buzz, you're flying, you're flying. And he goes, I'm not flying, I'm falling with, with style. style. <laughs> that was a nice callback. Which was a great callback. Great. And he goes, and RC, they let go of RC and just trust that he's going to get there okay. <laughs> and he does. I mean, the wrestler pulls him in and this is like his redemption. I'm like, I'm not really sure I'm feeling this yet. I really wanted an extra scene where we see like how they like, like the big therapy session they have to have. And this is all over because they've done some terrible <laughs> things to each other. They've done some terrible <laughs> things to each other. We're like, no, no, I'm holding, sharing the, carrying the share care bear. I get to speak. <laughs> yeah, Ellie. Georgia had a big issue with the... Um, the RC guy at this point because they left RC's controller in the road so he's now just a re- completely useless toy and I think she commented no, later on he's, he's now he's now just R no he's now got, he's now got agency over his own life think about him he's like an indentured servant yeah drive because I want you to drive whether you want to or not <laughs> um, and so he goes you missed the truck I'm not going to the truck I'm going for the car they say to infinity and beyond and they land right beside the kid who noted oh mom look my thing's here and the mom's just like that's nice do you know what if this film was made today that'd never happen because we don't have sunroofs do you not 
Not in California. Not really. Oh, you have them in like. But back then you would have done. No, you have them in North America. You can oh, use that. You? Yeah, you'd be fine. I think my car's got a sunroof. Has it? Yeah. I never use it though, so I always forget it's there. But I'm pretty so, sure it has. After many months of therapy, we skipped to the skipped to the Christmas coda. Um, little Bo Peep uses mistletoe to lure in Woody, and really goes for it. Yes, she does. <laughs> we find out that um, Mr. Potato Head gets his wish from earlier. And I'm like, does Mr. Potato Head deserve a reward here? No, he's no. been a jerk, but yes. he's got the promise of like, uh, of some Potato Head love. Oh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he's got himself a wife. Yeah. <laughs> Technically a male order bride, if you think about it. <laughs> and... Uh, it's zooming out, and we get told, come on, Buzz, you're not worried, are you? Because he's doing the same sort of gimmick. And he goes, well, there's no way. What could come between, you know, there's nothing going on. And then he goes, oh, boy, a puppy. And the camera, like, zooms, and it's been zooming out of the house, so we think it's over. And they smash zoom right back in to see the shocked look on their face. And that was a John Lasseter call. He said the last look should be the two of them reacting to the news of the puppy. That was cute. And that was his call, and that is the end. And we get again, you had ruined me. So overall, uh, I think I've already sort of said my thing, but uh, I didn't mind the Tim Allen factor at all. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. It's a lot. I forgot about it. Um, it was really enjoyable to watch back again, um, and the, and all the little bits. Like I say before, I've watched films, a lot of these films before, and not thought too much into them. Now we're doing these podcasts. I see things with a different eye. Yeah. And I pick up more. So, yeah, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think I liked this much more than I did when I was, like, the first time I watched it. Yeah. For whatever reason. Uh, Ethan, it's always been a big thing you said when you were growing up or something like that. Yeah. You were raised was, in the era of It was always a nostalgia story. thing. I think coming back, it's a, it's, a, it's, a good mo- it's a good movie. I enjoy it. I think I, I've noticed more things seeing it, like, focusing more on it. Because it was yeah. just always in the background. So I was like, oh, I know this. I know this. I don't need to put my whole like attention on it but i'm like oh cool i noticed that 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 it it, it was nice to come back to ellie thoughts you saw it was once before thoughts on it now um yeah i think it really just doesn't have that pull for me like a kind of childhood film and it it still didn't really do anything major for me um i did enjoy it and i, I think the the bits that i really enjoy in this are like the tiny little details and the the funny little jokes that, you, that just little quips from characters that they're not even like the main storyline. They're just little things that someone says and it's like, ah, and then you've moved on. Um, George's general thoughts on the film. Um, she said, it's an amazing example of how a cohesive story with characters we genuinely care about can be established and told in less than 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Pixar's shortest film to, to date. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you got to think about the limitations oh, there underneath. Right, yeah. I think it's the. I think now you've got the luxury, but you can do as much as you want. Yeah. I think technology is yeah. catching up, as has their staff. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I think there's a reason for that. But if you think, I mean, the, the Toy Story three was much longer than eighty minutes. So yeah. yeah. I will say, comparing the animation from from this to like the most recent Pixar film, which isn't Toy Story four, but like comparing Toy Story one to four. It's so impressive to see how far they've come. Like, but it's also is impressive amazing. to see. Like, one's not terrible. No, George yeah. commented. There are points where I was like, "This looks good." George has commented specifically on how amazing the animation is, um, especially considering when the film was made. And she said she does think there might have been some touch-ups and additions since the first version. I think particularly because of that copyright thing on Buzz's bum. 
Um, but she says that the details that go into all the toys are really amazing, and and she thinks it's really well done. Okay. I I know a 4K restoration came out last year, so that might that might be why. Uh, most of my mm. research, I think, predates that, but about the just about the the, the logo. Don't know, but I we'll think, look into I that. I think the logo is was on there. I think it was on there originally because of the <laughs> connection with Disney from yeah. the start. Yeah. And I if you think about look and I couldn't find anything, but yeah, if you think about kind of the the old and the new and the new yeah. being scary and the old being the comfortable, I mean, it's very much a metaphor for Disney and Pixar as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Does Buzz Lightyear actually kind of represent Pixar? And so we're like, you know, what we'll do we're going to put a Disney logo on it because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're doing. Pixar, your fancy stuff. We're putting our Disney logo on you when we ship yeah. you out. So, um, favorite characters, Liam. My favorite character is. Slinky the dog. Oh, I did really like Slinky, actually. That's a good shout. Yeah. Um, he's very loyal. He is very loyal, and he's really conflicted. Everybody else yeah. wants to turn on him. He's like looking for yeah. anybody who will back him up. But I also like Bo Peep. I like the fact that she wasn't this prim, proper China thing. She was actually quite forward yeah. and very flirtatious. Indeed. <laughs> uh, Ellie, slash, and then Georgia as well, please. Um, so my favourite character is Mr. Potato Head. Okay. Um, I, I just really like lots of his little comments and I really appreciated there's a bit um, when he's playing battleships with is it with Rex um, anyway when they're playing battleships afterwards Mr. Potato Head takes his nose out and his voice goes really nasal and I thought that was a really <laughs> clever little detail in the sound effects yeah um, but just just all of those little they got their, they got their really money's worth out of Mr. Potato Head even the bit where he's like uh, oh I got a Mrs. Potato Head oh I, I better shave and he just pulls off his mustache <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so. a nice touch um did Georgia have one? Um, I don't think she's given me a favourite character. If I find one, I'll come back. I'm sure it's Sid. Ethan. <laughs> Cam, I I think, I just like the little quips he does. And because it's not like joke jokes that the kids would find funny. It's just those really unfunny comments that then go, that shouldn't be in a kid's film. So it's funny. Like when he's talking about like company buyouts and all oh, those things are made of uh, copper wire. That's why it's so be- like so much better. It's like, that's funny. It's just like, it's a real difference especially to the rest of the film and it always made me chuckle you should watch cheers because he's just riffing off oh i have i'm I'm a big i'm a big fan i used to watch that when i was very young Uh, i'm I'm gonna go with the obvious one then i'm gonna gonna choose woody yeah uh he's a bit of a jerk but i think what they said about tom hanks and his ability even when he's playing a jerky character to create emotion and regret and remorse and yeah but that didn't come to later but i think we've all been that person who's felt petty and I felt oh, he was yeah. able to express that. So he's not the most likable character. That's not yeah. what I'm giving him, but I am giving him my, my favorite character because I think he's the most well-rounded. And grows, I suppose. And grows. Like, it's really about Woody's... It's Woody's arc. Yeah. I think it's Woody's yeah. story. Yeah. You could argue it's also... But, like, Buzz has a huge arc as well, but I think it's Woody's story. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia didn't give a favorite character, but she did say that Woody goes through jealousy and rejection and eventually contentment, and there's loads of different emotions explored. I mean, he comes to peace with the idea that it's okay if I'm not his favorite toy. Yeah, because the speech is still it's great when they want to play with you and if it's not with me then it's with Buzz and at least he's happy and all these things and that's got to be I think we've all been in a situation even when you were a kid speaking to kids I mean the idea of you have a best friend and then someone else new moves in and your best friend is now best friends with them and you're like but we were best friends and that fear of the new kid and what that means it's it's really well metaphorically placed here it is favorite scene Favorite, favorite moment favorite something um, my favorite scene is the bit where he goes, look, Buzz, an alien. Yeah. Because <laughs> that made me laugh the very first time I saw it. Yeah. Because that was so deadpan. That was just, I loved it. Ellie? 
Uh, I'll start with George's this time. So she said that when the toys come to life and scare Sid, she thinks it's creepy, but it doesn't cross the scary line. Not sure I agree with that. No. <laughs> then we get to laugh at the story's main antag- antagonist one more time. Okay. Um, and my own favourite bit, probably the bit when the when the soldiers go down and yeah, and spy, funny. just because the I really like nice I really like the full effect of that and the underscoring and the fact you've got the back and forth between the soldiers and the and, the bedroom and with the other children's toys. Children's toys for like adult purposes yeah. was a nice touch. It's right? really clever. Um, but a favourite little extra thing rather than a scene. I really like the way that the animation changed between the toys playing dead and when they then come to life. Yeah. So how they kind of go from just like completely floppy to then having their own movement. I thought that was really clever. Um, it's more just a moment. Um, I wrote it down because I really, really liked it. Oh, this will be the thing I like. Um, the way that Slinky's done in a couple scenes, um, it's he's like a dog. It's when he's asleep um, after like strange things are happening to me finishes and everyone's going to sleep. He he twitches in his sleep like a real dog does. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's just a really nice little bit of like animation detail they didn't need to. <laughs> oh, like Pip's doing. <laughs> right on cue. Love it. Yeah. But I say it was those little bits of animation that I thought were just fantastic, and the details, like with the books and everything, it just that extra step to make the world more lived in was, One thing was I brilliant. Like as well is the um, Bo Peep. You saw that she was porcelain. You heard mm. that she was porcelain. Yeah, I could shout. You know, I quite like that. Um, she looks painted on this. Very, yeah. it's very well done. Mine was any time Woody was trying to convince Buzz that he was just a toy, and that kind of. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, oh, oh, almost like a existential crisis. Yeah. Anytime we'd have to come to sort of face to face with his own purpose and who he really was, and those scenes, you are a toy because you are a strange little man. <laughs> it was really, I think the full line was, "You are a strange little man, and I pity you," which is Tim Allen's favorite line actually that he did. <laughs> but uh, I think overall, kind of in that regard, then the scene at the Dino Pro, Dino Co, whatever it was called. Oh yeah. yeah. I think I like that. I think it's the build up of that moment. Yeah. The zenith where they're screaming into the abyss at each other, kind of, or Woody's just trying to shake him and see the light, and he's just like, because he thinks he's legitimate. He's like, I'm just going to leave you here, and I'll see you on my, on my travels. And I like that. So, oh, um, there was a pun I really liked that I forgot to mention. Go for it. Uh, it's the name of the moving company. They call it Virtual Realty. And I was like, yeah, it's just oh, virtual reality. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. I didn't see that. Uh, little grumbles, really quick though. We're running a bit long. Uh, my grumbles uh, as a overall four films of how Woody is as a person, toy. Um, I don't like him in the first one. Okay, um, that's my grumble because I think he's. I think it harps back to the original idea of what he was. Yeah, that, that edgy kind of thing they wanted. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't. I didn't really like that because I couldn't gel with him. But <laughs> when he redeemed himself, then you know you get to know the Woody as we know him. Agreed, Alec. For me, I think just the the idea of how the humans are animated, yeah, just being horrible. a little bit creepy. Um, for Georgia, she said that they yada yada a few months in order to get to Christmas and to get to a satisfying ending. But she didn't like the fact that, that meant we didn't get a payoff for the burn mark on Woody's forehead that Sid does when he's torturing him. And also how Buzz is missing a sticker or how RC no longer has a controller and all those Some, some continuity things. little slips. Yeah. Okay. Ethan? Uh, it's just like an animation thing. When uh, when any character blinks, 
the eyelids aren't in sync, so it's one eyelid, then another. <laughs> and I noticed it, like, ten minutes in, and for the rest of the film, it's all, all I've seen. And I, I understand how difficult it is to animate, because I've had to do the exact same thing when I've animated characters before, like, in Maya, and different 3D animating things. And it's really difficult to get them to sync up, because they're not the same piece of, like, animation. But it's so, so distracting for me. <laughs> Uh, for mine, I'm just going to say that there, I just couldn't reconcile how Sid could be such a sociopath unless his whole family was sociopaths. But then how do you explain the daughter who seems quite fine or the fact that Sid's afraid of his mom when he's like, she's like, mom, look at what he did. No, I did what she did. She's lying. I didn't do it. And it's yeah. like, then how are they buying up these rockets? Yeah. I couldn't, like, the parents seemed absent as well. Like, Sid's mm. skateboarding the Pizza Planet. Pizza Planet's a bleeming car ride away. Worst parents ever. Sid was just like this never, like, like he was this looming figure of malice. And I'm just like, and menace. And I'm just going, but why? How? Mm. Yeah. Didn't quite get it. Parents are drunks. Uh, <laughs> so, we've got a couple of rating games to play today. The first is we got to look at our Pixar ratings and go one to four. So, so far, we have looked at. Uh, Coco, we have looked at Brave, we have looked at The Incredibles, and we have looked at Toy Story. So one being best and the four being the worst. Liam, if you've seen them, you're more than welcome to join us on our rating game. Um, I haven't seen Brave. Okay, so out of a three, you've, okay, so you've seen two. So is Toy Story better or worse than The Incredibles? Better. Okay. Ellie, one to four. Um, I have put it at number three three behind brave and above the incredibles okay ethan uh oh i'm gonna put this at number two which is below coco and above the incredibles okay jewel just put it at number two as well and she said that she really loves it but it doesn't garner the feelings of emotional response that coco did okay i'm gonna go at three which is higher than i thought i would going in but I put it ahead of um, the Incredibles. Incredibles is four, but there's not much between them. Between two, three, and four, they're all they're all pretty close for me. I'm the same. I, was, I wasn't sure whether to put it at three or four. Yeah. So then, now a rating out of ten. Our more traditional system here, best film ever. So Liam, a rating out of ten for Toy Story. Eight. Okay. Ellie. I'm going to give it a seven. A seven. Ethan. I'm giving it a nine. A nine? Ooh, wow. So you guys yeah. you guys average out to an eight between you <laughs> at the time break. And you went eight. And I'm going eight. So really? it's, in a sense, kind of eights all around. Yeah. I really, this is me eating crow a little bit and going the Tim Allen effect. Maybe I just seen too much of him and burnt out. Yeah, maybe. And needed some time yeah. off. Yeah. And I was able to enjoy the performance. And I saw maybe more so the buddy I think Toy Story 3, which I saw years later, helped me fix this because I really enjoyed Toy Story 3. Yeah. And so looking back at this, first of all, I've gone back to this since then and went, no, I'm, I really get this. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. He and I have made up. We've made our peace. So eights and eights. So we've got to set two uh, new episodes up for the two podcasts. So next week on Talking the Mickey, we will have Debbie joining us and we will be looking at the 1960s live action classic Blackbeard's Ghost. Blackbeard's oh, Ghost. I, love that movie. I have not seen Blackbeard's Ghost oh before. God, I've never heard, heard of that heard film before. I haven't seen that in years. So you're the, you're the only one who's heard of it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Very highly regarded from the neutral on the panel. So Debbie will be joining us for that. And Debbie will also be joining us for Best Film Ever next oh, okay. week, oh, where that. we are staying in 1995. Wow. We are going to be teaching poetry to inner city kids, oh. starring one of 
one of Liam's favorite actresses, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, in Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds. Which oh, I thought it was Dead Poets. Which I knew Liam would be excited about, yeah. and I am very trepidatious about, and don't think I'm going to have the same restoration as I did this week with Toy Story. <laughs> but it was the 25th anniversary of that oh, film, cool. and so I thought we have to go back and take a look at that, because if nothing else, that single was everywhere. It was. That was a massive and one. And that really had a an impact on me that film um the rogue villain guy i really liked well i have never seen it so, so i'll look forward to story. so please come next week and join us on either talking the mickey with blackbeard's ghost or for best film ever where we have a dangerous minds or both or both both available at your favorite podcatchers catch the socials as we said earlier the thing i just want we're running long so i'm gonna get us out of here <laughs> so for talking to mickey and best film ever i have been ian and i've been liam i've been ellie and i've been ethan and i hope that you realize that after all this time no matter what comes and what goes you've got a friend in us <laughs> we'll see you next time take care are distribution companies now they can make the movies but a lot of times they're used as a middleman by other people who have made pictures uh, a middleman by other people who have made pictures <laughs> that was brilliant I'm, I'm, gonna leave, I'm gonna leave that for the end yeah. <laughs>